Games WTG8 coming to you live from the King Kong Corn Con. This is the first for the We Talk Games crew. At least the first part of the show will be coming to you live from the King Kong Corn Con. So don't mind the sound quality. I am your host, Wiggly. Sitting to my right, it's Trapdoor Charm. Hey, everybody. And, oh my gosh, here he is, Kyle Von Kubik. What is he doing here? Live and in person. Now, you enjoying the Game Con Corn? Corn, corn my poop? I'm not just enjoying it. I'm being it right now. You are living the dream. Perhaps, yes. Yeah, so Kyle made the, the trek. We're all here. We have all of our gear debuting some new gear, and people are stopping by, and they're going to talk to us about games. We also have an exclusive interview. The first time ever that they are on record speaking about their game, some people from Island Officials. This is a brand-new startup company. They're going to talk about their DS title, which I'm sure everybody is going to want to pick up because it's priced right, number one. And number three, we have on today's show none other than Noah Falstein. And David Grossman. Yes. Now, Kyle, tell us why these people are close to your heart. If you grew up in the early 90s as I did as a kid and you played a lot of uh, graphical adventures on your computer, then these two men were instrumental in bringing those games to you from LucasArts. Right on. We're going to ask him about that. Of course, we're asking about Sinistar. Speaking of graphical adventures, I saw you over there uh, picking up the Supervision. You're playing a little bit of Dream World. Oh, it was fantastic. I can see how the Wataro Supervision should have been the Game Boy killer that it is, in fact. I love how the game just... Rephrase that. <laughs> the Wataro uh, Super... No, I don't, actually. I like it the way it is. Very good. Right. Trapdoor Charm, what has been your favorite part of the Game Con Corn show? Well, I've, I've actually been enjoying the interviews that we have been recording uh, throughout the day. Here. That we will be recording, you mean, after this segment? Yeah, the ones that we'll be recording future, right? <laughs> after this segment. I, that has been your favorite part in the future. Yeah, it, uh, I've been talking with some of the gamers here, and what I really appreciate is their honesty and their passion for the games, and it's just been a good experience for me. Yeah, a lot of furries walking around, a lot of, a lot of people playing the tabletop games over there. I see uh, some Magic the Gathering. Now, what could be more exciting than Magic the Gathering players than being a ref for Magic the Gathering? <laughs> Nothing. Exactly! All right, Kyle has all the interviewees lined up. Trapdoor Charmed is going around with the release forms. It's very, very official. We're doing something a little bit different, a little bit different for this episode of We Talk Games, episode eight. Doing a little bit of man on the street. I'm going to go out. I'm going to talk to the people here at the King Con Corn Con. We're also going to have our interview with Island officials. So let's get started. In fact, let's not start. Let's go! All right, I am here with the lead game designer and creative director for Island Officials, Tangrams. Tangrams is for your Nintendo DS. And this game is awesome. Where can, where can people uh, find out more about this game, Ryan? Well, uh, the first place you can go into is uh, islandofficials.com, and uh, hands-on Tangrams will be releasing in October. It is a puzzle game based off an ancient Chinese puzzle. Uh, it's seven different pieces that you have an outline, and basically the object of the game is to create the puzzle by putting all the pieces in the outline and then bringing the puzzle to life and helping create the top screen and bring it to life by adding all the pieces that you create. Oh, well, that's very simple. Now, John, what do you do in this game? 
right. <laughs> now, how did you get the inspiration to do uh, Tangrams? Well, our our producer just came up to me and was like, "Look, I want to take this these puzzles. Uh, Tangrams are public domain. They use them in schools. They're okay. this popular puzzle game. I want I want to take it and make it a DS game. So the game already existed. Tangrams was already a thing. So it's just a matter of." How do you take the DS and make it work on the DS and use the different fun the, the functionality the DS has? And how do you turn a tangram into a piece of corn, things like this? The way tangrams work fundamentally is you create silhouettes with these seven basic shapes. So you make a more complex shape out of these seven simple shapes. Okay. There's literally hundreds of puzzles. Like people make, there's all kinds of books and all kinds of things. So we just went through and we, we looked at existing puzzles and um, we set them up into themes and we created these murals. So what you're doing is you're taking the puzzles, solving them, and building a mural on the top screen. So you're creating this whole environment. Ah, ah I see, I see. Very good. Piece by piece, puzzle by puzzle. You are the lead game designer, so what does that mean? You you uh, take the graph paper, you, you start it from ground zero? Yep, you start it out on paper and you work it out on paper and you take what look you take what looks good on paper and trim it down and make it work in real life. It was kind of bringing an old puzzle style and giving it a new modern day twist. Very good. I just gotta wait for this. Second place is a Zelda Now, you have seen the list of game designers that have been uh, past guests on our shows. I think this is very exciting to have you from Island Officials on the show because this is ground-level new game design company. How did this all come about? Well, we've been around for about uh, two and a half years now, and uh, myself and my business partner, Ryan Morrison, uh, we kind of always wanted to do something. Uh, we've wor we really worked in the industry from a retail perspective for many years. We both ran video game stores. We also uh, taught video game design at a local college as well, so the whole perspective was to kind of bring the, the company around. and, and yeah. I actually uh, worked in retail as well. In fact, I had a cot in the back of my game store so that if I needed to sleep over there, I could make that happen. Yeah, sometimes you need to, especially when you have those long inventory nights. Yes. <laughs> but, um, you know, we really wanted to always do something, you know, and originally we, we were always out at different conventions, going to E3s and the big guys in, uh, in Texas and wherever we had to go to kind of get our name out there. So it kind of wasn't one of these things that happened overnight. We always wanted to do something. Realistic work for a company was the was the initial goal. Uh, but as we kind of looked at our resources, resources around us and, and the talent that we had, this is kind of a very untapped market in the in the game design world. You know, realistically, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to go to school and then move out to California or anywhere else in the big cities. And there's nowhere really in South Jersey, where is really where we're, where we, we started. Um, so we sat down one day and we really started to get the gears moving. And before we knew it, uh, here we are. And Tangrams is coming out in October, and we're very excited. So very good. Any uh, any good stories to tell us, John? This is the romantic vision of game design. Just a couple of guys <laughs> sitting in an apartment trying to go. You know what would be cool? But uh, we're talking about, you know, up all night for three days, sleeping in shifts, living in some guy's apartment. 
apartments aren't wired to be game design studios. So by the time we moved out of the apartment we were working in, we had a spare bedroom that was like a lab, like wall-to-wall -wall computers. Right, right, yeah. So by the well, time you we see my out, chicken coop. Yeah. But by, by the time we moved out of there, like every once in a while sparks would fly out of the electrical sockets. Like we lit a Christmas tree on fire once. That was pretty fun. Uh, yeah, I think so, it, it also got to the point where you know we knew eventually we were going to get a studio, and you know the time, the time and effort that we were really putting into this game. You know, we had weekly meetings every Tuesday where everybody was going to school and working full time, and then coming to the coming to the apartment and working from like four and five o'clock to like 12, 30, 11, one o'clock in the morning, and then everybody was waking up and going back to work. And you know, it was really a passion project, which is really what what we what we have. We've had anywhere from fifteen to at one point we had about twenty three people that were that everybody was working with us. So you know, the team has grown uh, and and has expanded, but you know. It's the passion level that is really what really brought the company to be where it was, you know. It got to the point where everyone was just grabbing as much equipment as they possibly could. So from people were like, I'm giving away computers, like, I want it. I want your computers, I want your printers, I want your... I want your Frankenstein disaster. Yeah, oh yeah. Anything. Uh, it, it got to the point where uh, one of our main programmers, who's another Ryan, we have about five Ryans on the team, uh, he, we used to call him Frankenstein because he would sit in that room and rip computers apart with pieces everywhere and just rebuild stuff and, you know, we had about 12 desks that we would rip apart and then make into into where they needed to be. So they'd be like, "Oh, we need to do this now. So let's take apart these computers and build a computer for this task, <laughs> then disassemble it." And Fantastic. Uh, well, that sounds great. I wish you tons of success and come back on We Talk Games when you have your next project. I know you have something in the works, huh? Uh, yeah. The next thing we have right now is in pre-production is uh, Hands On, which is our brand. Uh, Hands On Pattern Blocks, which is kind of the American version of Tangrams. And like like we were saying before, um, Tangrams kind of gives you a limit of only seven pieces, but with Pattern Blocks, you can go anywhere from 10 to 40 pieces so it really expands the amount of gameplay that we can do and this game is going to be a, uh, a scripted adventure game on the top screen where you have inter interaction with puzzle elements on the bottom screen oh very good and very interesting beyond just building a mural you're telling a story so you'll run into an obstacle and then solve that obstacle by creating an object like oh I, I can't cross this stream so let me let me make a bridge here now very good very good awesome well guys uh, please stop back we got that more in the works Island Officials. Thanks so much for yeah. talking to us. Yeah, we really, really appreciate, appreciate it. it. And right uh, check us out at islandofficials.com. Right. All right. I am here with Nicole. Now, Nicole, do you like any type of video games? Well, Zelda's always been a favorite of mine. But which game do you like the most? Which Zelda game? Do you like the original one for the NES? Do you like the Super Nintendo? Do you like the GameCube or the Wii? Well, the Wii one was really good. I'd have to say my favorite one was Zelda 2 Zelda 2 <laughs> No uh Link's Awakening Yeah mine too that was great What what was cuz cuz what happened you think you're done with the game and then what you start all over in a dark way Yes I don't think that's what happens. Oh. So which is Link's Awakening? That's the one for the Game Boy. Oh, for the Game Boy. For the Game Boy. Okay, yeah, very good, very good. Right, right. I was thinking of Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> wow. Well, that's a completely different game. Ah, yes. Now I, re now I recall. This was in gray. Yeah, I was thinking of Link's a Link to the Past. Any other titles that uh, strike your fancy? Well, I'm a huge fan of the Mario titles. All right, all right. Now you, of course, like Mario 2 the best. No, that would be three. You don't like any of the, the oddball uh, Zeldas or Marios. You like the standard Zelda Mario series. You're 
pretty much. And you like three. What, uh, now, is that the one where you're tanuki? Yeah, that, that's the one. And uh, how much do you like this? Did you stand outside uh, waiting for this game to come out, midnight at the Toys R Us? Well, I was pretty young when it came out. You were like three? You uh, probably about four or five. And did you cry to get this game? I hear you. Well, I cried to get any game. <laughs> well, that's a good policy. Well, thank you for joining us, Nicole. I'm here with our intern, Kyle Von Kubik. Uh, he just returned from gathering my pen where I left it at the last interview. Say, Kyle, how, how was the experience going up and talking to actual game designers? It was fantastic. What's your favorite part of the game core, con? Um, I would have to say the numerous people walking on the showroom floor. There is a plethora of people uh, from all walks of life. Uh, I would second that. I see a zombie. I see a guy in full SWAT gear with gas mask. I see a couple furries. I see some people cosplaying as Stinky, the game master from our show. Oh, wait. That's just how they look. All right, everybody. All right, I'm now joined with Thomas, who is an expert at Team Fortress, which we haven't talked about. Team Fortress, I've never heard of this. Tell us about the game. Yeah, what, what it's about. Well, I'm playing on, I play it on 360. I guess it's uh, one of my favorites because it's just the, the class-based combat. So what do you do? You mine gold and then you uh, punch uh, a dwarf in the face. What do you do? No, no, most, it's just uh, the one. I, the mode I play the most is the capture the flag mode in 2 Fort. Um, okay, is this like an FPS, I guess? Yeah, it's first-person shooter. Okay. It's 8-on-8. Uh, eight eight. Um, on the uh, 360. And now do you play with your buddies or do you take on the little 12 year old kids that curse and say derogatory things against minorities? One thing, <laughs> the thing I found out about it, the, the nice part about Team Fortress, um, what I saw is that the community tends to stay away from the game. Uh, you get more adults on it and they tend to communicate more. Because if you don't communicate on the game, you don't you don't win. Okay, very good. So it, it, it does inspire a lot of collaboration. Uh, yeah, I guess the name says it all. <laughs> <laughs> you got me on that one. You got me on that one. What is your favorite class to be on? Thank you. This is my producer, Kyle Von Kubik. He's also the intern here. Uh, get my pen, will you? Got it. Uh, what is your favorite class to be in this Team Fortress that you talk of? Pyro, hands down. My girlfriend and I, we just love teaming up as pyros and going out and taking out the other team. Okay, now when you do the pyro, do you use a flamethrower or do you throw Molotov cocktails? What happens here? It's a flamethrower. Uh, ah, very good, very good. It has limited ammo, but basically it's just an ambush class. You hide behind corners, jump out, and grab people as they come in. Excellent, Tom. So I'm going to be sure to check this out. Now, how much does this rock you if you want to get in on this team fortress? It's uh, available, I guess it's now available uh, for like as low as 20 bucks at the game store. It's the orange box put out by Valve. Ah, right, right, right. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. We're going to have to check the Wiggly's World Mini Mall. Wiggly, Wiggly's Mini Mall. It's like a flea market, this place, except without the fleas. Thanks for joining us, Thomas. Thank you. Now, I'm here with Phil. Now, Phil, you are a podcaster yourself. I have, yes. I do some podcasting, yes. And what is it, where can people find you on the iTunes? Uh, on iTunes, if you just search Shemoozle, uh, you can find... I have two different types of shows. We have one called Shemoozle Radio, another one called uh, Boring and Casual. Me and my buddy just kind of talk about games together. So. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. That's, that's what we do here. We talk games as well. Now, what have you been playing lately? Lately, I've been playing uh, Muramasa the Demon Blade on Wii, and last night, I just finished... Uh, Dead Space for PS3. Oh, 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 PS3. Oh, good. We need PS3 coverage. So, what do you what do you think about the Dead Space on the PS3? Does it control better because you have a better?
better uh, controller on a PS3? Or have you played the Xbox version? I haven't played the Xbox version, but I mean, I, I can't imagine that they play m much different, you know? Yeah, I know, but you know, sometimes we have to, as PS3 lovers, are you a PS3 enthusiast or do you think it's okay? No, I mean, I like them all. Actually, my Xbox is uh, broken because I got the all red ah, ring. Ah. So, you know, I'm not playing that thing right now. Whammo! Yeah, so that's why I've been playing a little more PS3, but okay, I like to good. play them all. I yeah, play yeah, yeah. Games all the time. And uh, any, um, without any spoilers, what, what kept you enthralled with the Dead Space? I guess the environment was cool. I was a big Resident Evil 4 fan, and okay. it felt a lot like Resident Evil 4. So it was just cool to play a game like that. And, you know, it, it was just all the scares were good, and yeah, it yeah, was just yeah. cool game. Good very, game. very nice ambience, uh, atmosphere. Now, what, uh, what system did you play Res 4 for? Uh, originally on GameCube when it came out. And, yes! Yeah, and then I bought the Wii one. Right on, man. Well, thanks for joining us. Bye, Phil. All right, thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, now I'm joined with Daniel. Now, Daniel is a blooming Jagazine publisher, creator. What, what, what is your official role in Jagazine? Uh, I guess my official role would be the editor-in-chief, but I like to write. I like to uh, get involved in every bit of the process. Uh -huh. And now you are here at the Game Core to do what? Get in touch with today's youth? I'm here to talk to We Talk Games, actually. Uh -huh. That's the only reason I'm here right now. Very good. And, and this is, of course, because you want to talk about your favorite game. You saw our wrestling podcast. We, of course, are involved with the Chikara podcast, the Go-Go as well. You saw this. You said, my favorite game of all time is WrestleMania. WrestleMania 2000, yes. Oh, 2000. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You threw me off. Let's specify here. Now, I thought you were the editor-in-chief and you didn't, you you neglected the 2000. I had to surprise you once we got on tape. You know, I had a WrestleMania 2000. Instead. Okay, and your favorite person to be in WrestleMania 2000 was Rikishi. No, there was no Rikishi in WrestleMania 2000. What are you doing? Uh, uh, I don't know. What are you thinking? Chaz, Gerald Briscoe. Who was your favorite person to be? Uh, Big Show? I, You're asking me? I'm unsure of my favorite character in the game. I create myself oh, and fight as myself. Okay, well, hey, now that is what calling is all about. If you don't create yourself, I don't call you a car-er. What else have you played on the N64? I just lost in the 007 tournament here, actually. So he played here, 007, and lost. You lost to the kids. It was terrible. It was, I, I, no, no, I got second place in a three-person tournament. So now, who is with you here from Jagazine? Uh, Jagazine. This is Jessica Kisman. Hello. Our official graphic designer for the entire magazine. Oh, graphic designer. I see you have a uh, camera there taking photos. She's also the photographer. Yes. We, we are a three-person team. Our other, uh, our business person, uh, Robert Bager, is not here right now. But tell us a little bit more about Jagazine because I'm interested. This is for the youth of today. It is for the youth of today. It's a young adult magazine. Um, we're submission-based, so anybody. He wants to send anything pretty much we're open to all kinds of different uh, alternative universes I guess we got video games we've done roller derby we like to look at cult movies from Troma you know longest independent running uh, film company um, we just talked about Troma on last last uh, month's show and we also talked about of course roller derby the only two sports that I enjoy are the ones that are not fixed roller derby and pro wrestling of course yeah, they're not fixed at all I went down to Austin they they were throwing elbows and everything like that that was all real it was and they, uh, they throw elbows off the tops of buildings I hear onto a tank Buildings, exactly. Yes, that's what happens. And how can people get a hold of this Jagazine? Uh, you can go to jagazineonline.com. You can call me. My number is 201-280-062. Wow. 
please yeah, go ahead, text away. I don't know. And put put you, and your social security on the side of a van. The uh, no, 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 I can't do that. Well, you're both lovely people. Thanks for joining us on We Talk Games. Thank you very much. All right, Christopher. I'm here with Christopher now at GameCore. Christopher, what are some of your favorite types of video games? Well, I like my good old platformer games like Mario and Sonic. Um, I also enjoy like a little bit of fighting games like Soul Calibur and um, Super Smash Brothers. Right on. Now, I saw earlier you were you were coming around with your video camera. You asked me a little bit about the FM Towns 2 that I have here. Um, yes, I'm actually um, filming some of the things at the convention for my own website. Oh, oh you have a website? And where's that? Um, www.magicinkgaming.com Magicinkgaming.com yeah. Very good. And, and what uh, what does site feature? A lot of uh, YouTube clips or video game systems? Uh... Um, that's really... It's mostly just reviews that I do. Oh. Like, it's not it's not a big site, but something I do on the site, like keep myself busy. Well, I think that's uh, that's wonderful. That's what we do as well. We have a you know a couple people that were in the gaming industry that get on a show. What what uh, what's your favorite system right now? Right now it's the 360, but um, I'm playing I'm playing my Wii mode when Tatsukinoku versus Capcom come to the states. Yeah, now who who can you put together teams on that? You can have up to two player up to two players at the same time. Okay, and who do you think that you're gonna choose to beat? Have you ever played this in the arcade yet? Um, I actually play my friend's Japanese version of the game. Okay. I think the two people I'm probably probably gonna play most is. Yatraman 1 and Beautiful Joe. Oh, Beautiful Joe and Gotcha Man 1. Now, Gotcha Man was released. Oh, oh, what is it? Yataman. Yataman. Okay, was that that? Oh, oh, oh Yataman. I don't know who that is. Was that Tekaman or something? Uh, no, it, it hadn't it had gone statewide yet, oh. um, but there was like a, a cult following for the anime in America. Okay, very good, very good. I, I you know, I, I, I stopped watching anime back when Bubblegum Crash came out. I think that was the last one. That's when I used to have to pay $80 per video cassette at a convention, and it didn't have any subtitles or anything like that. Well, I think my favorite anime would have to be like Gundam Ring. Gundam Ring? Wing. Oh, Gundam Wing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. That happened. No. Like a speech impediment. Well, join the club here, pal. This is what gaming's all about. Hey, now, uh, have you played any Gundam games on the consoles? And if so, which ones do you like? Um, I played, um, I have played both Dynasty Warriors Gundam 1 and 2. And at this convention, I actually found the um, Super Nintendo fighter, um, Gundam Wing Endless Duel. Oh, Gundam Wing Endless Duel. Fantastic, fantastic. And, of course, the other Gundams were for the PS1, right? Right? Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. Those were good. Those were uh, good side scrolling or side view fighting games. Yes. <laughs> oh, so you got the Super Famicom version. What do you have here? Gundam Wing. Okay. That is one that I did not have. Although I did have one that is absolutely not related whatsoever, which was the Robotech. Uh, have you ever played this game before? Um, I actually have on an emulator, but I always wanted to get like the cartridge. Of Hell yeah! Yeah, I, they didn't have it on eBay or Amazon. So like when I saw it at the convention, I knew I had to grab it. All right, Christopher. Well, I'm gonna go check out your website. I hope everyone, all of our listeners, do as well. I'm gonna edit that so I sound a lot more intelligent. All right, man. Hey, thanks for joining us. On we talk. Thank you. All right, I'm here with Sean from Hey Lols. Now, how do you how do you say Lolazies? Hey, hey Lols, I guess. I didn't 
even plan that when I made the site. Okay, and what is the site about now? This is like a gag site. Yeah, Halos is a uh, video game humor site, which is basically I can't have cheeseburger for video games. Aha! Uh -huh. So, you know, ball cats, you know, merge it with video games, and uh, you get some pretty weird, funny stuff on there. Well, you know, now that I have you on here, can you just explain to me this whole thing, this whole obsession with cake? With, with like, with me or with, like, everybody? Well, no, you look online, you look on the message board, uh, t-shirts, everybody, yeah. cake, cake, yeah. cake, everybody, cake. What? Come on. Hold Come on. Come over to the We Talk Boost table, and huh? I will be giving out. Take your Polaroid with me, is now. and I will give you a stinky autograph. Uh, eight dollars, only eight dollars. Come on, stop by. Get your Polaroid taken with an internet star. I'm sorry, it's star just, uh... Man, it's several episodes of I Have a Plate. Did you know that we talk games? Oh my god, why wouldn't she be? 40 people did announce other video game podcasts. Just ask for the announce challenge. Someone left it on in the rain. I don't think that I can take it because it took so long to deep fat fried. And I'll never have that recipe again. Oh, now ho ha ha. Where even was I? I don't know. All right, well, now let's tell people to check out halols.com because this is a funny site. I gotta check it out before I came. Updates two to three times a day, so. Whoa, that is, uh, that's a lot of turnover. Well, thanks for joining us, Sean. We really appreciate it. Bye now. No problem, thanks. I'm here with Joe. Now, Joe, you are the cousin to Christopher who has the great website magicgaming.com. Yeah. Now, I see that you are fully decked out in the Zelda hoodie and t-shirt. Now, that must be your favorite game. Not really. Okay. What is your? What have you been playing lately? What do you like? Um, Gears of War 2 and Halo 3. Oh, my gosh. Now, of course, this is for the Xbox 360. Yep. And do you play this mostly as a community-style game or individually? Individually. Individually? Ah, oh, very nice. Very nice. Now, have you beaten both of these titles and gone through them several times? Um, only Halo. I hate Gears of War. Oh, you don't like it? You do, now, do you, now, are you talking about Gears of War 2 or Gears 1? Um, both of them. I don't. Ah. I don't like the storyline. Okay, so you don't you don't like those, and you wear gear of the Zelda that you don't care for. Yeah. Very good. I love it. I like this guy. Um, come on. Uh, I'm, so, I'm playing I, the future of gaming. You are playing the future of gaming. Yeah. Now, have you seen that we have the future of gaming over here? It is the um, Watara. the Watara Supervision. The Game Boy oh. Killer. Yeah, it looks pretty intense. It will kill the the the. the four-color gray screen Game Boy, because the screen is much larger, and you could tilt it and uh, set that up on your countertop. Yeah. yeah. It's like arcade at home. Very good. Anything else that you want to tell us about, Joe? Why are you here at this convention? My cousin invited me, because he got a free ticket. Ah, very good. Fantastic. So there you go. Well, thanks for joining us on We Talk Games. Thank you for having me. This show is stacked. Super stacked, even. Now, what have you been playing lately, Kyle? Uh, what was I playing just a second ago? Dream World. And uh, you recommend this for everyone that owns a Supervision? Absolutely. I see you're playing a Supervision with the extra stands on the bottom. So that you, if you're, you know, you normally you bend the screen and sometimes uh, you need that extra support. You can't really lift the Supervision. It's so heavy with the batteries. Uh, is that because of your arthritis? 
You know, I don't know, but I, back when I played my Game Boy, I always wanted to play it like a uh, old school typewriter, yeah. and the supervision lets me do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I ascribed it to your acromaglia, of which you suffer. Okay. Not a lot of people know that Kyle Von Kubik is, what are you, like eight or nine feet tall, Kyle? Yes. Very good. Yeah, so something you know doesn't come through on the air. I just observed a fella drinking a Sprite, and he was gargling, gargling it like it was like it was mouthwash, and he was like swishing it around his teeth. It it's like, a Sprite mouthwash. <laughs> All right, we're here at the Game Corps, and we have two people joining us, James and Jamar. Why don't you tell us a little about about the company that you represent? Uh, we're with Last Action Gamer, and we are what you call Game Stream Video Game Apparel. Ah, very good. So you make games for whom? Well, we don't make games. We actually make clothing for gamers and people who uh, play video games. And you make clothing for whom? <laughs> for people just like you, man. People with style who like to play video games. Wrong. Tetris. <laughs> That's what you meant. Okay. Very good. And and like when when you say for gamers, like uh, for for FPS fans or what type of gamers? Uh, casual all the way up to hardcore. Okay. Very good. And what type of uh, video game systems do you own? Uh, right now we have the big three, the Wii, the PS3, and the Xbox 360. We have all the old school stuff too, but those are the ones that get the most burn right now. And James, what did you yeah, this, I knew we Is this on? Hey! Donuts. Yeah, just get your donuts. I love donuts. Each no, muffin no. donut. Now me! Jingle bells, jingle bells. Eat, Jing eat, eat some donuts. I got mine, and I'm on the radio. Eat, eat, eat some donuts. Hey, get off the megaphone, you bucket of bolts! Give me yeah. Now, it is my turn, you donkey old slob. Are you? Hey, uh. Watch it, quit machine. Hey, why you, why, why? What are you going to do about it? Come myself. Uh, all right, thanks. All right, sorry about that, Jamar. Um, now, James, what is your function at LastActionGamer.com? I'll be the resident president right now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, do you play a lot of network gaming around the office? My office is actually legal in nature, so I'm usually drafting contracts. Very good, very good. Now, now you did sign our release form, and you noticed how official it was yes. with, with, with such terminology as awesome, awesome, being the world's most awesome video game podcast. You know that the legality of this is just, you, you can, this is ironclad, as they say. I am astounded by your legal expertise. I don't the, understand why they make law school for people like you. You and, just bypass If you could describe the, the, this legal uh, paper we have it on here. It looks like you got this from Target. Oh, peeps. Yeah. Oh. It's actually just born Eastern surplus. So, so wow, this contract is old as Easter. Very good. Yeah. Easter basket or something? <laughs> now, what are some of your, what games have you been playing? What games have I been playing? What is that? Shadow? Shadow Complex. Com Shadow Complex. Okay. Um, we haven't heard about this one too much, but what style of game is that? It's sort of like a Metroid. Super Metroid. Yeah, today it's old school. Oh, right, you're right. This is the, this is the, the bit where uh, it's, it's sort of like a, 
old school and new school put together with a serious story, and then you get into the gameplay, and it's more like a 16-bit game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awesome. A lot of people, a lot of a lot of fans of this uh, title as well. All right, guys. Anything else that you want to tell us, uh, people where to go, how to get this, and uh, how you feel when you wear the the gear? Yeah, uh, you can check us out at www.lastactiongamer.com. We have coupons, all types of types of cool stuff going on there, and uh, we're always looking for new partnerships with the gamers out there. Email so. us too. Email us with your thoughts about our apparel. Definitely. Very good. They take suggestions. There you go. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. All right, I am now joined with the former NWA Shockwave heavyweight champion and the current commissioner for WW. The Smoke is here at the Game Core Concord, King Concord. Hey, what's going on, brother? The Smoke is electrified by coming down and talking to you. Wiggly, my man, what's going on, brother? What games have you been playing lately, The Smoke? Well, you know, one of the games that The Smoke can't stop getting his hands off of is Batman Arkham Asylum. It is one of the best games of the year, by far. Now, what system does The Smoke play this on? Oh, without a question, PS3, because oh, yeah. you, get, you get to play as a Joker. Yes. What more would you want? Now, what other type of uh, titles are your favorites on the PS3? Well, The Smoke loves Uncharted. You can't wait for Uncharted 2 yeah. to come out. Of course, he always loves the wrestling games games, WF Legends, hmm, there's too many, there's just too many games. Do you like any of the downloadable uh, offerings from uh, PlayStation Store? Oh, of course. you got so many different, like, variations, you know, Big Little Planet, you get to bring the little variations of yourself or whoever you want to play as, you can play as Kratos. That's the one game that the smoke is waiting for, God of War 3. Oh, yeah. That's going to be the game that everybody is waiting for. Right on, man. Well, where can we see you... I'm starstruck. Well, you know what? The Smoke is doing TV. He's doing movies. He's also in the comic book. He just signed a deal with Shocker Toys and a whole line of wrestling figures that will be coming out next year in 2010. He's got a comic book series called Tempest and a spinoff series called Tainted where The Smoke is playing as himself but as a vampire. The Smoke has got a TV show called Heavy Sedation. The Smoke has got an upcoming movie coming out that he's in school and talks with right now. The Smoke is everywhere on your TV screen. He may even come to your newest, nearest video game console. Now, when you are making your movies, are you going to say, I no longer want to be involved in pro wrestling? Oh, no, 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 no. So a lot of people thought the smoke was retired. The smoke hasn't retired. Ah, the smoke is still wrestling. He's going to stick with it as long as he has the legs and the arms and the hands and the head and the mind to do so. Looking good, the smoke. Hey, thanks for joining us on We Talk Games. This is the smoke of We Talk Games. And if you don't no! Now you know. For the smoke has spoken. Fantastic. Well, there you have it. The smoke. I mean, uh, wow! What a way to what a way to close this out. I think we're wrapping it up here at the King Kong Corn Con. This, of course, being our first We Talk Games Con tour. Uh, and you know what, Kyle? I think I finally figured out a job that is better than both playing Magic the Gathering and being a referee of Magic the Gathering. And that would have to be sitting here watching a referee referee a match of Magic the Gathering. Yeah, actually, come to think of it, yes, you're uh, 100% correct. 
And on that note, we got to wrap it up because we got a stacked show. That's right. So, uh, so Chiz, you're gonna pack up. Yep. You're gonna pack Stinky. Up. You're gonna take TT with you. That's right. And Stinky's been driving me nuts all day. He's like, I want to go to Mr. Softy. Want to go to Mr. Softy? No, so that's I exactly gotta, what. Yeah. So I gotta take him to. Well, we don't have time for that now. Now. Ice cream. All right. Now, Kyle, uh, you're gonna go in your car to your house. I'm gonna go in my car to my house. Our house, right? And uh, we gotta get going actually because Wetgack Flipley's in their infinite wisdom they want us to conduct our your Kyle you and I have to conduct our interview while we're driving back to the chicken coop and satellite of integrity respectively so uh, I'm, I'm leaving now actually I just uh, get out of here bye everyone realizes this is against my better judgment, but the meeting of the We Talk Games Committee for Podcast Conformity and Listener Integration, of course, otherwise known as Wetgat Flipglees, thinks, hey, let's go out on location, have Wiggly do something, you know, man on the street, and in a giant convention hall, and then, but he'll also have to do parts back in the studio, back in the Chicken Coop studio, do his regular interviews, and not only that, but, hey, you know what'll really save time? You interview Kyle on your way home! So you have the two co-hosts uh, talking over a speakerphone in a car while you're driving home, the 25, 30-minute ride, whatever it takes. And then when you get back in the studio, bang, Keith has got people in the queue. You start doing uh, your show like normal from there. Well, I try to do the best I can with whatever I have, and that's what I'm doing now. As soon as I get in my car here, Kyle's going to call me on the phone, I'll pipe him through the speaker system, and we will uh, continue with the show. So thank you all for continuing to listen to this very unusual episode of We Talk Games. Oh, there, there he is. How do I... How do you answer a phone? Hello. All right. Hold on. Hold on. I gotta put you on. Uh, I gotta put you through my speaker system. Hold on. Let me figure out how you hook up this doohookie. There we go. Let's see here. And and. Hello. Hello. Wiggly. Can you, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. All right. You're very good. Me. Uh, We're hearing oh, each other. Oh, you know what? I forgot. Um, what? Route nine fifty seven. Go. My seatbelt is on. Hey, long time I haven't seen you. Yeah, I saw you about, I don't know, how many minutes ago? <laughs> about six. So now, uh, now, how does a huge giant like yourself with one club foot fit <laughs> into that little pacer car you got there? A lot of practice and a lot of Astro Glide. I see. And and you did take out the front seats. You just sit in the back seat and of steer. Of course. Right. Yeah. It's a custom-made milk crate that I sit on. Now, do they still make Pintos? I didn't know that. Well, I guess they do. All right. What do you got for us this month? Hey, we, we teased some stuff that we we're going to talk about last month. So let's dive right into it. Let's talk about Contra Rebirth for the Wii. Available on WiiWare. Oh, Wii? Okay, hold on. Uh, I have all the bumpers on carts here. Go ahead. Oh, great. Yeah, I have a cart player in my car. You're criticizing my car. You got an eight-track player in your car. It's a cart. This is professional radio. This is not eight tracks. These are carts. Okay. They're on a loop. Let's talk about Contra Rebirth. All right, let's. You can get it at the uh, WeWare, the the Wii Store. WeWare Mini Mall. For a thousand Wii points, about $10. About. And 
Yeah, and you already discussed this. It's yes. like a throwback to the 16-bit era uh, with some next-gen flair in it. It's more like Symphony of the Night than it is of Mega Man 9, if that analogy makes sense. You know how Symphony of the Night came for the PlayStation, but it had that 16-bit flair yep, yep. as well as that next-gen. So there you go. That's what you get. You're not getting like a NES-looking game. It's a beautiful game. It's got some fluid animation. It's very bright. Yeah. Um, like you discussed, brutally difficult for the casual Contra fan. Oh, yeah. Normal, it's a... It just a, It feels like Contra. Yes, and there's some options in there, like you also discussed, that you can bump up the lives and the difficulty and everything. So, I mean, the easy is way too easy. Definitely do normal, definitely do seven lives. You'll have yep. a good time. The game, though, is incredibly short. Why is it so short, Wiggly? I have no idea. I haven't played through it yet. It's only about five stages long. It doesn't fill the need for my Contra fix. I think it's a little overpriced for what it is, mm-hmm. but it's a lot of fun. And it's, it's, Contra. A, new, it's a new Contra game. Yeah, and it's a good Contra game. It's just a short Contra game. The thing I, I don't like also, on top of the game's length, is the lack of online co-op support. Mm-hmm. Because although I like to sit with my buddies and play it just like River City Ransom on my way, I'd also like to be able to play with uh, someone like you, you know, online. Right, right. Yeah, there's no reason why this 16-bit looking title couldn't, couldn't feature online gameplay. No, it but, just it missed the boat with that. But then you have to put in like a 20-digit friend code and code like that. yeah that's yeah uh, despite this the game is a must-have for retro gamers sure and it's a great co-op romp so uh, and, and it's the first good contra it. game in a long time where it's not you know polygons and everything else so it's nice oh to what's see the matter you didn't like contra 3d <laughs> nobody did hey i i uh i don't want to talk about it well let's not talk about the ps1 right now but uh i i uh, i was like one of the only people that liked the original Contra release for the PS1. But we won't go there. And that was a long time ago, and I'm sure if I looked at it now, I'd probably throw up in my sandals. By by the way, ouch, they hurt. Now, second of all, third and fourth, let's just say what everybody, what we should be saying, what everybody's saying, what's on everybody's mind. Tell me. 600 Wii points. That's what this should have been. Yes, it should be 600 Wii points. Uh, It doesn't have the same sting that Altered Beast at uh, 1,000 Wii points does, but it it is a little overpriced. Well, now, to be fair, that Altered Beast is because it's the arcade version. Now, is it a $10 arcade game? No. But uh, that's why of the the price discrepancies there. I think Nintendo likes to encourage piracy. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I'm getting from all of this. Hey, no. Hey, well, we're on the Wii. I uh, I played more games over this past month than I've played, like, ever in my life, I think. The more variety of them. A lot of big titles came out. A lot of not-so-big titles. I know that everybody's been waiting for this follow-up, and, and everyone's asked this question. Hey, what happens next year to my Price is Right game when the prices change? I blog about it every day. Fear not! Price is Right 2010 is here! Oh, the anticipation. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, it's almost there. This is almost a game. This is almost, almost a game. Yes, it didn't feel like a Flash game. And Eureka, it's always... when it's the final wheel, I can go up with the wheel and then spin it down, just like you're supposed to on a wheel. Now, can you fall down like an elderly lady? You can't. All of the show? <laughs> you can't. And that's what it stinks about it, too. Your av- when you're playing against your opponent, your opponent's avatar doesn't even spin a wheel. It's just their goofy face, and a wheel is spun by the ghost uh, of Mrs. Mirror or something. I don't know. What- yes, it's, it's, a, it's still, like I said, it's almost a game. Maybe in 2012, 
It'll finally be a game. See, EA has to pick up this franchise. That way they can crank them out like Madden. Yeah, Ubisoft is not... Is not uh, they're trying. They're trying. Like I said, it doesn't feel like a Flash game like the other ones did. Still no support for your Miis. Why? That's dumb. Why? And there's still no host. So what? No host. No Drew Carey? No Drew Carey. No Bob oh, Barker. Man. No nothing about- like that. They couldn't get Wink Martindale? That guy's not doing anything. I, they could have got somebody. It's just the announcer. Now, the, the, the announcer's, you know, he's awesome. New car! You know, he's great, but that's about it. Uh, yeah. and, and although the avatars have been expanded, they're still half-butted. Is that what we say on the show? Half-butted. Sure. Half their butt is there. So it's still, not, it's still not all the way there. But it is an update, and rent it. I don't know. But yeah. it, I'll tell you what. If you felt like playing The Price is Right and you thought about buying the original one, don't. You know, Get the 2010 version. It's much better than the original one. And uh, you, you might actually enjoy it and have a, have a fun time with it. This is a great example of where third parties and Nintendo are missing a huge opportunity. This type of game should be something like the 1 versus 100 on the XBLA. There's oh, yeah. no reason it can't be. And instead of charging people money for something that's like you said, pretty much a flash game. Yeah. You could have advertisers in there, and then well, you already sense. do because you're you have bidding. Products, right? Exactly. You're bidding on those products. Those. That's how the real Price is Right makes their loot. You know, yeah. from all the all the free riceroni and everything else they get on there. So why not? I don't know. A leaf then, blower. You know. Have the me support make the friends meeting up process a lot easier and then then we're talking about something that's fun and entertaining yeah now they still have the three strikes rule or a standard game so you still have that three strikes that they introduced i think on the ds i'm not sure but that that's all i really want to say about prices right 2010 so what else you got uh, you know what? You were talking about uh, the PS1 just yeah. a few moments ago. Hey, let's talk about the PS3. Let's talk about Trash Panic, a.k.a. Gomi Baku for the PlayStation 3. All right, yeah. I, this is a game that I uh, I uh, picked up. I told you about I said, hey, five bucks. Let's do this. Let's play online. Well, yeah, you can pick it up at the PlayStation 3 store yeah. for um, $4.99, which breaks down to $4.99. Right, because they don't use points. No, I love them. They win. So, what do you think of it? I enjoy this title. It's it's very difficult, I think, and it's only like uh, five or six levels. I don't think there's many stages, but it's going to no. take you a while to get through the stages, and it's especially going to take you a while to get through the stages with a higher rating than a D, or an, if there's anything lower than a D, I don't know. Yeah, here's a game that you're going to look at, and the first impression you're going to take from it is Tetris. Mm -hmm. But this game is nothing like Tetris whatsoever. What you have is a trash can with pieces of garbage coming down, and you have to either line them up and smash them. You have to get rid of them before your trash can fills up over the brim, and once three pieces of garbage fall on the ground, that's it, game over. But unlike Tetris, this game is not something that you just pick up and play. There's a lot of things going on at once, and you gotta know a lot about what you're doing. There's a lot of things going on, like you have to worry about your carbon footprint and not uh, destroying certain items who have a very specific name that I cannot pronounce. Maybe Wiggly can handle that one. I think it's something like Montanian. Mine and uh, two tie ties. 
Right. And the garbage that's coming down is very quirky. This, for me, I got a very uh, Katamari-type feel from this game. Mm-hmm. I guess because of the goofiness and all the items that are coming down, much like in Katamari where you're collecting weird and strange items. Rushing nesting dolls, a speedboat, a samurai sword. This is the kind of stuff that's falling into your trash bin, and you're trying to destroy it. That way you're keeping the garbage level as low as possible. Right, a barber's pole, a giant Chinese bell. A mailbox. <laughs> yeah, a violin, a lot of pieces of wood, things that break easy, things that take a lot to break, pieces of things metal. Things that don't break. Exactly. Uh, the, uh, a sponge, an eraser, a pike. These things oh, are yeah. there to throw you off. A giant duck boat. Push. A giant duck yes. boat. And then a mattress. Mattress. And then every worst. now and then, uh, some some very flammable materials, like a teddy bear, will fall, and then you'll get a matchstick. Right. And you can either, or some type of other thing that has a flame coming out of it, which I don't know what that's supposed to be. And what you can do is you can either try to burn up some of your garbage, and that'll get rid of all your wooden things, and it'll cause fire chain reactions and all different types of things. But then, once again, this, this increases your carbon footprint. So now, at the end of each stage, you get a scale that weighs your ego versus your eco right and you can do some very unfriendly eco things like use the fire and still win and get a high score by balancing out because you didn't crush the items you're not supposed to crush you had a clean can like i said there's a lot of things happening at once with this game yes and it makes it a yeah it's very it's very actually it's very complex but it's something that I think, like Tetris, will draw you in because it, it is fun to play. It has some great game kinetics about it that it feels fun to play. You know? Yeah, and and the great thing about it is it has a demo. And I and speaking about demos, that's what I thought. I said, this is going to be great. I, you know, I'll tell Kyle about it. We could both play this. Little did I know, there's no two-player online with this either. What's going the biggest, on here? Biggest drawback to this game is there is no online functionality. Again, oh, oh, this is the year 2009. <laughs> Like, come on, seriously. I, we're not playing Saturn, you know what I mean? We're yeah. playing systems that are updating every other day, trying to find out whether you're doing the right thing or not on your console. Right. You can't give me online co-op with a $5 game. But despite this wiggly, did you know that in Japan, this game goes for around $15, or the arcade version is a dollar for every three lives. Wow. So $4.99, the states got it pretty good with this game. Wait. Buy it up, man. You know, yeah, people are always game. asking what type of DLC should they get for their for their PlayStation 3. The, here's a game that you could demo. You could see if you like it or not. And and then for only $5, it's 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 a really I think it's really worth it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. And I just realized, I just saw this recently on my PSP. Uh, it gave me a, a you know, one of these uh, consumer warnings, don't do this, don't do that. You know, read all the manuals before you start playing this game, epilepsy yeah. and all this. Well, it said, do not play while tired. So you never play this game, is what you're saying. Well, what I realize is what they mean, because I played this game when I was tired, and the next thing I knew, it was like 4.30 in the morning, and I'm like, <laughs> why am I still on level one? I keep yeah. restarting this game. The, another big drawback about this title, why am I staring at a white screen for like half a minute? Really Low bad times. loading times. Yeah. Why? No, I, just, I just picked up a PlayStation 3, yeah. uh, the new Slim for $299. Very good. And I was shocked at how much downloading, loading things you had to do. Oh, and yeah. this game had to take the cake for the longest load screen ever. Yeah. I mean, I'm playing Batman Arkham Asylum on the PS3. 
and it's loading up shorter than this little game with trash that's falling. Yeah, I have no idea what's going on behind the scenes there. I don't know. I don't this, know if it's that entire itself. that entire game should be able to load into memory as soon as you start the game up. Well, yeah. but that notwithstanding, it's still a fun game. Try it out. That's what demos are for. What else we got? Well, since we're talking about the PS3, you want to talk talk about something else we teased last month? The Joker challenges for the Batman Arkham Asylum? Ah, yes. Very good. I mean, we talked about Batman Arkham Asylum last month at Nauseam, uh, and uh, we pretty much covered all the bases of that, but what we teased for this month was we would go back and just talk about the Joker challenges. Now, have you had a chance to play these? Well, the smoke told us it was great. That's all I know. I trust the smoke. I trust the smoke as well. Um, the Joker challenges are very similar to the Batman challenges, and this is a PS3 exclusive now. Right. I don't think it's going to be a PS3 exclusive for very long. Right. Um, and basically what it is is the same thing that you're doing with Batman in the challenge modes. It's either stealth or smash and bash, brawl, or whatever you want to call it. There's two types of game modes. The one game mode... You fight as many guards as possible and rack up as many points as possible. The other mode is the stealth, sneak and hide, whatever you want to call it, where you try to eliminate all the guards in the quickest possible time. And like Batman, Joker does have an array, albeit small uh, array, of devices that he can use to achieve this. So he has chattering teeth that explode, uh, the famous gun that paralyzed Batgirl, and mm. x-ray goggles that are very similar to the detective mode you turn on during the game. But the catch is, you put the glasses on and you can see everything uh, x-ray style. Uh, and they're very like novelty looking. They got the swirls that are spinning. Great. Uh, but you, you can't walk and move around with those. Mm. Now, well, I, I know there were a few people online who were wondering, uh, what, what about the, the flower you know, that spits acid or smoke or whatever it needs to spit? Is that in there? Yes, but it's integrated into the combat system, so you'll be brawling with guys, and if you hit right and punch, he'll blast them in the face with some smoke. Gotcha. And then some of the um, silent attacks implement the flower as well. So that was cool, a nice little nod. Hey, we already discussed that they did a great job at this game, and it showed that they really cared about the uh, IP that they were dealing with. Right. What an exclusive, huh? Yeah, for now. I mean, like I said, uh, Xbox 360 users will definitely be seeing this in the very near future. Yeah, you'll never get Yoda or uh, Darth Vader on your No, uh, you games. won't get it. Maybe get Jar Jar Banks of you, by the way. Uh -huh. Hey, let's speak of the Wii. Let, let's talk more about Nintendo. Let's talk about Mario & Luigi Bowser's Inside Story for the Nintendo DS. Huge title! Hold on. It is a huge title. Wait a minute. Uh-oh, the cart fell under the seat. Yo. Careful, don't fill your drink. I mean, uh, oh, that's the wrong one. Whoa. I gotta keep my hands on the wheel. Yeah, you gotta watch the road there. Gaming. Oh, I know we both played this title, but let me get something out of the way first. This is a little bit of a, a preface, if you will. Admittingly, I am not a fan of the Mario and Luigi franchise on the handhelds, nor am I a fan of the mm. Paper Mario series. I just don't like I didn't enjoy them. I, I did try to get into them. It wasn't my cup of tea. Mm. I like Mario the best as a supporting character. Like, I love when Mario is in Donkey Kong. I like, like when Mario is in 
alleyway. Remember, he he jumped. He's in the ship. <laughs> it's Breakout. No, no, yes, it's not Breakout. No, this, nothing this, like Breakout. This stars Mario. It stars Mario. He and jumps into the paddle, which is his spaceship that he's blasting the Breakout blocks. It's really a Mario game. That hole. Remember the box art with yes. him in the little paddle? Yeah. It just hammered it home. But this is a Mario game. Semi-transparent. So I like I like Mario a lot. I think he's a he's a cool dude. But How about I, when Mario's the villain? Let's talk about when Mario's the villain. Donkey Kong Jr. and the Wario games for the sure. handle. That's cool, too. You don't get to play them, but it's still cool to see the other side of the coin. Right. Not Donkey Kong 3. I was thinking that then we got that other guy with the... with the Oil panic man, yeah. Yeah, well, whoever that was. That was weird. What's that kid doing there? That's not Mario. Anyway, Where's I guess Donkey Mario Kong? took the day off, yeah. Yeah. He's got that uh, DDT can. DDT! All right, we're, we're really going off base here. This, despite not being a fan of Mario and Luigi, nor Paper Mario, I was a humongous fan of Super Mario RPG on the Super Nintendo. Okay. And one of many reasons that I was a fan of this game was the ability to play as Bowser. So when I heard that this idea in the game would be revisited, mm-hmm. uh, I I was totally interested. I was just like, this is going to be cool, playing as Bowser. Because, you know, as a kid, that's the ultimate bad guy in those games. And sure. to be able to move him around and be the person that often defeated you, it, it was exciting for me as a kid, and now I, I like that idea. So that's what hooked me into this game. So I started playing this game, and I really dug it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Graphically, it looks very similar to the Mario and Luigi franchise of the past, but there's great use of the dual screen. You have Mario and Luigi at the bottom screen inside of Bowser, and at the top screen, you got Bowser walking around, and there's interactions between the two. Yeah. And Wiggly, who doesn't want to learn the anatomy and physiology of Bowser? Let's I know I do. Exactly. Now, Mario and Luigi's portions of the game play a lot like a standard platformer, while at the top screen, Bowser is moving around a la overhead, kind of like Zelda, you know, overhead view. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Man's got to do what a man's got to do. He sure um, does. There's a repeat of what I liked in Super Mario RPG with that active action battle system where you'll be doing button sequences to hit multipliers, add additional damage to attacks or dodge attacks from your enemies. So, that, that you know, that's kind of cool. I like that. I like yeah. uh, having that interaction and that active experience. All three characters can be leveled up and equipped with an array of items. There's a lot going on, but it's really simple. It's kind of easy to play. It's real pick-up and play. A lot of save points, so if you're going to play this game, you know, before bed or before work or on your lunch hour, it's good because there's a lot of save points so you can play a little bit at a time and feel like you're progressing. Two humongous drawbacks of this game. Okay. Number one, the music. Awful. Oh, you Turned like- off immediately. No, I did not like the music, and it might have—I might have not liked the music because I was hearing the song over and over and over again as walls of text were shooting past <laughs> my screen. I, you know, I see the advertisement on TV with the little kids talking about it. What little kid is playing this? I, I think they'd have more fun reading a Hemingway novel than playing this game. There's way, way too much text. It's way too chatty. Yeah. Uh, Super Mario RPG did a good job of a lot of pantomiming and acting out scenes or doing sort of like uh, comic book snapshots to give you an idea of what the story was. That's well, that, it. It's Mario. You don't have to overthink it. Well, that was that was my problem with, with all the paper Marios, is I thought that they were a little too long on the gab as well. But uh, there is a lot of humor in, in some of that text. So I don't know if you skipped over all of it, but... 
there's a lot of humor going on there. I I felt myself just like getting very glazed over reading it. Let me ask you this. There is some humor in there. It's very funny. Let me ask you this. Do you think that all your base belong to us is still relevant humor in 2009? Uh, No. (laughs) What is that doing in there? I have no idea. Is it like someone at Nintendo just turned on the internet? Yeah, well, I don't know. You got to think of the people... <laughs> I'm surprised it didn't say, oh, you know, I like turtles. Luigi. And that might be a drawback of this game uh, a couple years down the line, because there's there's also a uh, a little bit of goofy knock on the Wii Fit. Did you see that? Not yet, no. All right, so in the storyline, these characters are blowing up because of the blorbs. They're all getting oh, fat. Oh, right, right, yeah, sure. And then they start advertising, I believe it's called uh, Squid Fit. And it's obviously a nod towards the Wii Fit and, you know, Nintendo poking fun at itself. But is that going to be relevant, you know, in a couple of years? I don't know. It's like putting Bill Clinton jokes in a video game or an RPG. We've seen it before, and it just, I don't know. I guess it's nostalgic a couple yeah, of years down the line. I, I don't mind that as much, but I just think the, the whole, the whole, having a character that talks like all your base belong to us. Yeah, that's forced stuff is just... It's just, I mean, it probably doesn't exist in the Japanese version. It's only in the translation. Now, what do you think about the graphics? They're pretty, they're pretty nice for the. They're DS. decent. Like I said, it's similar to the Mario and uh, Luigi art style. Yeah. But they look good, and there is some nice polish, you know, on the animation. Right the fire, you know, when you blow a fire, it looks pretty cool. Yeah, everything looks good. All right, man. Well, I got, I got some things for you here. I got some things for you here on the, the portable gaming. Three big racing titles. I know you love the racing. Wait, Madden, now racing. Pretty soon you're going to be talking about Halo. Halo's all right. Oh, my God. Are we still on We Talk <laughs> Games? What happened? We are. Uh, I beat Halo 2 all this the way through. This is an Outer Limits episode happening right now. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I beat Halo 2 all the way through. I have no idea why I played that game all the way through. wasn't worth it. Wasn't You're worth it. Forward, I guess. Yeah, uh, but more racing. Let's talk about racing. Three big titles came out to compete for your PSP loot. What are you going to put in your PS? Go, Carmageddon Five. You are not going to put that in. Although I would put that in. No, uh, Dirt Two came out. Need for Speed Drift and the biggie, of course, Gran Turismo. Gran Turinoismos. Yes. Well, let, let's start with the one that I wouldn't go back to again. And I think that's how we're going to rate this. Uh, I think that's how we're, we're going to start a new thing on We Talk Games, I think. Instead of giving it a, you know, a five-star, nine-star, 30-star, eight champagne glasses, five uh, swirly poops, things uh, like that. I think, we're sandwich. Say, I think what's relevant is, would you go back and play this game again? Okay. So I'm, I think I'm going to institute that now. With Mario and Luigi in time, would you play that again? Are you going back to that? I have been going back to it, yes. Very good. So that's all we need to know. And from this part, point moving forward, except for on this episode, that's, uh, <laughs> that's how we're going to deal. During this brief segment, we will go by that rating system. Dirt 2, I will not be going back to. Now, uh, have you tried... I played uh, a little bit of... Yeah, I've played a little bit of Dirt 2 on the PSP. Okay, have you played it on the Wii? No. Yes, you have, because you played it on the PSP. It's the same version. Uh, yeah, now, if you've tried this demo on your PS3 or your Xbox 360, you are going to really be taken aback by how much time and care has been put into this Dirt 2. Now, this is a Colin McRae vehicle. So at some point, it switched from Colin McRae's rally of death to dirt. You know, <laughs> okay. Colin McRae's dirt. Uh, <laughs> I'm Joe Dirt. Yeah. Well, there you go. He's got a giant meteor, right, that's on a trailer behind his car. 
but uh, but if you try now, I really recommend that you try the demos for Dirt 2 on your PS3 or your Xbox 360. I think you're going to be very surprised and very drawn back into this style of rally racing game again. However, if you tried it for your PSP or your Wii, which I think is the same version, it is a really stripped down version of what wowed me on the PS3 and Xbox. It's very simple. You get to be a Hummer, you get to be a Doom right, buggy, right. you get to do all different types of cars and vehicles. And of course, just like the title implies, you get to drive on dirt sometimes. So that's that's nice. Exciting. Truth in advertising. Yeah. But without the flash and polish and ways that you get moved around in the Xbox and the PS3 game and the, and the big, the amazing graphics. Right. Uh, I don't think that this has any appeal whatsoever. Need for Speed Drift, much, much different take on that. When you play Need for Speed Drift compared to Dirt 2 or even Gran Turismo, you're going to get that speed that is implied by Need for Speed. It's a very slick interface. They're doing a lot of this uh, thing that you see in advertising with the 3D and the ribbons and the sprucing things up. And an announcer draws you through the game. But all in all, it still looks and feels like a PSP race game. So if you've played a PSP race game before, you've probably played Need for Speed Drift. Okay. Now the big, big, big one, Gran Turismo. Now I heard that this is a beautiful looking game. Not a lot of fun. Well... I've been having a little bit of fun with it, but okay. you have to approach it differently. It is a, and of course, Gran Turismo, the real right. driving simulator. Uh, Gran Turismo, wow, uh, not exactly what we saw at E3. Like you were saying, like at E3, this looked like it was playing on the PlayStation 3, you know? Right. This looked amazing. And of course, we did see versions of it for the PlayStation 3, which look out of this world. But, yeah, it's only uh, taken five years to get the uh, PlayStation 3 version, right? Right, exactly. But I got to tell you, it does look very good. You realize you're playing a PSP at times, but other times it looks surprisingly good. And of course, this also depends on the backgrounds, the lighting, and things like this. And that was the other thing about Need for Speed Drift. Something about the way your car was lit on some stages looks looks like you're driving on four flat tires because the the shadow's too harsh and it and it it made your tires bulge out like they were flats oh really so it, it bothered me but in gran yeah. turismo every now and then you're going to see some seams in the road now you start out with a first person view first person in car view where you just see the a full, cockpit view if you will Except that you don't see your hands and things like that in there. You don't oh, see okay. the windows. Okay. You can choose that view, but like most racing games, whatever view you start out with was pretty much what they spent the most time designing a game to run on. And I, for me, I think that is the best view that you can have. And when you do start out, you only have one car, but after only a race or two, you already can purchase like five or six cars. And the draw of Gran Turismo has become, gotta catch them all, gotta collect all different types of cars automobiles yeah exactly so that's what it's about it's about getting a lot of different types of cars and oh look at this volkswagen from 1948 there's the only one like it and yeah but do you care like about that? No. that's the question is like do you care about getting all those cars i was sort of drawn into it a little bit but I don't know who their demographic is that does care about it. I know there are people that really care about this type of stuff and tuning them and making them work this way right. and that way. And let me tell you, the car that you start off with, you're going to think, wait, do I have this set to manual? Why am I still in first gear? I'm doing 50, and it sounds like I'm in first gear. 
Speaking of Need for Speed, and because of the guests that we will have on today's show, Need for Speed 3DO comes immediately to mind. Remember, 3DO came out with uh, Need for Speed and was a big, big improvement over you know the Genesis versions and everything else. By the way, where's my road rash for the next-gen systems? We already went over this. I that believe. franchise was amazing. No, we didn't. That needs right. to come back. I talked about Skitchin before, but we need yes, Skitchin, yes. We need Road Rash to happen, right? But Need for Speed got a, tons of criticism because it was also done in in conjunction with, I guess, Road and Track or Popular Mechanics or track something and like field, this, right? Well, yeah, well, yeah, that that's who it was, and they made the cars act like real cars and what your sense of speed really would be. It was that accurate, okay, and. To that end, Gran Turismo, you're going 50, it seems like you're going like 15. So that's where I think people might be not feeling that fun coming into play. Right. And to further emphasize that type of car voyeur type of mark feel, as soon as you're done with a race, you're immediately thrown into a replay of the race from all different angles. And this is what Gran Turismo does best. I mean, that's what usually attracts people when when this is running in a track screen seeing this these different uh, angles of a replay of a race right, right. and then a lot of effort was put into allowing you to save the replay and then you can review it at a later time oh there's where I made a left turn and oh look at me I'm, I'm taking an inside track and things like that but after a while and after playing it and going through a couple tracks and trying out a, you know multiple tracks with different cars all that you can overlook it's still still a very good game Ra- racing is also easy there's a dotted blue line so if you can follow a dotted blue line I can do that uh, you can probably do well at this now the dotted blue line will become red if you're going too fast for a curve and the dotted blue line also shows you the best lane to be in to make a turn or to you know where what the what the best way to be on a track is is to follow this dotted blue line. So it's Gran Turismo Trace. Yes, and that's very good that it has that in there because now you can finally learn how you're supposed to be taking turns. You know, I yeah. think that's a good good thing to do and at what speed to do it. The problem is it has that chicken effect. You know, if you draw a chalk line in a road, a chicken will just follow it uncontrollably. Okay. You, you start losing sight of the track and understanding oh. what you're doing to play this, and all you're doing is being concerned with following this very narrow. You get tunnel vision, and you're only focused on this very narrow path to be following. Okay. So as long as you keep reminding yourself, it, it seems like a lot of work to do a racing game. As long as you keep reminding yourself of the bigger picture of this, I think you're going to have fun with it. And out of those three racing games, I think that's where you're going to wind up. All right. And speaking about cars, I'm pulling out my driveway now. So, uh, hey, listen, uh, call me, like, text me when you get closer to home, and then we'll uh, we'll we'll hop online and we'll do our council. Yeah, I'll just stop over at this Snuckies, grab something to uh, get you know get a couple bevs and a tank of gas, and I'll be on my way. I should be home soon. All right, man. Uh, text me. Bye. Bye. This here. Take this. Across the lawn here. 
Now, wouldn't that be funny if I forgot my keys? I'd have to, uh... I could break into most houses with a credit card. In fact, I often have gotten into my own house with a credit card. Alright, Keith, spin up the FDL drive. Let's go here. Let's, uh, open a line. Get on this other mic. Okay, yeah, this feels more like normal. Nice, nice. Okay, Keith, open the line up. Let's uh, get Eric Alex on. All right, Madison, go. Wow. Uh, you're my first call. Eric Alex. Eric Alex. Wiggly. Wow, man. What a ride. What a ride. I you, was. You sound tired. 65 the whole way. Well, there you I go. Had a, I had an inflatable donut on my butt just because I was, you know, at the convention. You have to set up early and just sit around for the people to start pouring in and then... Of course, my money fingers got tired from handing out all the merch. There you go. <laughs> uh, what you got for us this month, pal? Uh, mixing it up a little. I'm playing a PC game, actually. Very good. It's an MMO, even. The the great evil of video games. Awesome. Well, I think we're going to be MMO crazy this, this episode. Not really, but at least three of them will be mentioned. No less than three, and that's a guarantee. No less than three. Are, are any of them the big one? The big one, no. Well, that's Although they good, are compared I'm tired to the big of that one. one. Are you? Okay. Yeah, have have, you, have you dabbled in there? I have not tried it, but okay. I've lost friends to that game. <laughs> I see. Well, then we, it will not be mentioned during this uh, segment. All right. Hopefully, you got something good for us. Uh, I've been playing City of Heroes. Great! I was excited about this when it came out. I did the demo, I think, and yeah. tra- pranced across some type of. Um, what do you call it? Central Park or something. And then, yeah. I don't know yeah, what West happened. Park is the beginning area. That's it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Good. So I'm glad this is still going. I see that people can still get like free week or something of this game. So it's still relevant, I think. Yeah. I think it's like five years old now. How are you enjoying this? Uh, I've been playing it a lot. Um, this all kind of started, uh, some of you might know, a couple of weeks ago, my PC died. Mm. And uh, I got myself a new PC. It was the prelude to this financial crisis I find myself in. Mm-hmm. So I needed to do, uh, I needed to get into a video game that was going to eat up a lot of my time, <laughs> and be just one video game for like the whole month, which is tough for me because I got the attention span of a gnat. Gotcha. So I got into this game. I, I had played it on my last PC, and it ran like crap, and I got out of it pretty fast. It crashed all the time. Okay. It turns out. That was a bad PC. On this new PC, it runs like a dream. It's never crashed once. Okay. You get a little lag, but it's you're playing an online game, you know? Yeah. For people that don't know about what this is, it's it's a superhero game, right? You're a superhero. Yep. You make your own superhero. You team up with other players playing their own superheroes, and you go off and you fight the baddies together. Now, Eric uh, Alex, I have to ask you a question. Now, you, don't, yeah. you don't get dressed up as, as a female hero, do you? I, I do not. Oh, thank you. Thank not you. In my, not in my personal life. Okay, very good. Now, my job's a different story, but it's, <laughs> we don't have time for that. That's for another show. Another show. Yes. We talk costumes. <laughs> yes. Well, that's that's refreshing that we have someone that actually plays these online role-playing games, but yet does not get dressed up like a girl when they're online and they are a boy. So that's good. <laughs> that's a first here on We Talk Games. So what do you do here? You, I mean, you fight villains, you fight giant monsters. How do they lay this out? There's a lot of big zones, different areas of the city. There's a bunch of backstory that sets up some of the goofy MMO conceits of it. Like uh, there's big 
shining, shimmering energy walls in between every section of the city. Right. And they have an excuse for that. It's just to keep people from having to wander around all over the place. Uh-huh. Uh, and it, there's a lot of stuff like that. When you get beat up and knocked out, you get teleported to a hospital. And oh, they make okay. up an excuse for that. Very good. Uh, because I know that a real big anticipated game, I think, for the PlayStation is this DC Online which is yeah. taking you know a zillion years to even reach alpha uh, stage, and that's you know because of all the problems that can occur with these types of things and bringing them to a console. So, oh, yeah. uh, I mean, is this worth for people to get involved in this world of hero? What is this called again? City of Heroes. City of City of Heroes. That's right. Do you know anything about the DC Online? I've seen some videos of it on the intertubes. Yes. Yeah. But and I don't know much about it, really. Well, now Marvel's going to try to come out with one. They're saying, oh, theirs is, has been in the works as well. But in, in the DC Heroes Online, it's pretty much like the Marvel Ultimate Alliance or those X-Men games that started to come out, or even DC had their own little thing. It looks like they're trying to structure it more like that, except more that... like an action game? Yeah, more like an action game. You, you go and fight villains, you, you build up your points i guess but you create your own hero much like the city of heroes and um yeah you fight alongside other dc superstars yeah i think the video i saw the the player was fighting against uh, doomsday and superman was kind of flying around the background ineffectually exactly yeah that, that's that's pretty much what happens i guess so that's nothing like this though I mean, what well, do you do in City here? City of Heroes isn't a, isn't a licensed product, so there's no right. recognizable superheroes in there. There are sort of big shot heroes that the uh, developers play, and they get written into the fiction and stuff like that. But uh, they try to make you feel like you're sort of the star of your own little show. Okay. Uh, the criticisms for this game, it, it's, a, it's definitely an old school MMO. You have a class. I, would, I never really thought of making oh. a superhero and having a class. Okay. Like you could be a tanker or a, a blaster. It, you get a team role, basically, a, a, something that you can do for a team. So it, it's a hard game to solo, not because the missions are difficult as such, but just because it tends to be boring if you're playing a tough character because it takes forever to beat something up. Mm. Or you could play a glass cannon type character, in which case you're in constant danger of death. You know, it's the kind of game, if you if you can get into a superhero group and team up with people on a regular basis, it's a lot of fun because you can cover each other's weaknesses. As a solo game, I can't recommend it that much. I see. So it is more like the World of Warcraft community. Oops! I th- we weren't supposed to say that. It is more like the Earth of Aggressive Hodgepodge. <laughs> that's what it's like the earth of aggressive hodgepodge i guess more like that than it is like the marvel ultimate universe thing guys yeah and i, I guess the new player on the block this champions online oh uh, okay that game is a little more um solo friendly your character can is sort of more of a force on his own. You don't really have to have any glaring weaknesses like uh, are kind of built into the system. Now, is, is, that, is that based around the, the old D&D style 
Yes. Oh, very good. I, I used to. That's the. Only, I did play one game of D and D, like half a game. I got. I. I think I punched the dungeon master in the face. Um, <laughs> but I did play Champions Online at least two times, so I know our Champions, as it was called, and I. Yep. I so I know what that is. Oh, very Man, good. I ran Champions all through high school. Very interesting. Oh, really cool. Really cool. Yeah, I invented a little hydro waste module for ah. Champions Online uh, based on my hydro waste character and the song and everything else. That's cool. Uh, speaking of which, hey, I did my first mob, mob, pagadeg as well. Yeah, I'm a mod per mommers. All right. I participated in the, the Sony PlayStation Mag game. Have you heard of this? Mag. I have not heard of this. Okay, well, this is called MAG, Massive Action Game. It's the first MMO shooter. 256 players simultaneously take part in this um, battle game. You sort of try to... It's two teams, and they're broken up in different squadrons and everything, and then you... It's a first-person shooter. And basically, it's just like any other first-person shooter that you play with a lot of people, except instead of having robots and things like this, it's all 256 actual real people. Yeah. Now, what difference does that make? Uh, not much when, when people really don't understand what they're supposed to be doing in this game. Uh, <laughs> this game is supposed to be, you know, you, you go around trying to capture all your opponent's bases and different areas and you can get into vehicles and you can do all different types of things but people don't seem to realize everyone's sort of in there for themselves they're not really being part of a community at least in this beta stage sure because when one of your comrades fall you can switch your weapon to this shot and give them a shot and then that revitalizes them so they don't have to go respawning all the time yeah well i think three out of 256 people knew that you were able to do this so i would have a lot of my teammates when i'm lying there bleeding all over the place because i took a bullet for them just sniping and rolling around and doing everything except helping me get back up if you ever saw half of 256 people respawning simultaneously over and over and over again that's what you were in store for and let me tell you how they ran this beta test. Um, it wasn't it wasn't pleasant, and I wrote down the time somewhere. But the download of the game was something like two hundred and fifty six meg or something, and then okay. I needed an update right away. That was like twice as as much, and that was fine. And then when I actually went into the game, they gave me an in game download update, which was two point seven gigabytes. Holy man. And it was an in-game update, so you couldn't cancel out of it or shut your system off in fear of losing everything because there was no option to back out or cancel or whatever. So here's a poor kid. He wants to just, you know, play his PlayStation. He has to sit through downloading. What does that take, like 16, 18 hours? <laughs> I, you know, I, I have 10 meg per second down, so I'm happy about that. But still, it was a couple hours. And then after it was done, I get on there, and the server not responding. Server is down. Here, they're only <laughs> running this demo Monday through Friday from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. and then 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. or something crazy like this. So wow. it was all for naught. But I finally got in and I had about as much fun as playing any other online first-person war-style game. And was that a lot or...? And that was not much, yeah. Ah, getting okay. getting my butt handed to me by by little kids that don't want to give me a shot and make me have to respawn with, 
with all half of my 256 people behind me. Yeah. Now, I did get through Resistance Fall of Man as well on the PlayStation 3, and this was a, uh, you know, this was a big town. This was a big, big title when the, when the PlayStation 3 first came out. Yeah. However, now it's really shown its age, but you can pick it up probably, I don't know, five or six bucks. It's not much. I wanted to play through this because I had also gotten Resistance 2, which I had heard a lot of great things about, but I, for some reason, I was compelled to play this Resistance, the first one, all the way through before I opened up my resistance too which was already they open because it was plot, used right yeah you know i don't know i know they're going to recap immediately in resistance too but i just sort of wanted to go through it and i couldn't play motostorm because i thought that stunk on ice so i wanted to play one of the near launch titles that was a much to do about this playstation 3 sure. and i i gotta tell you that like i said it looks dated there's not a lot that you can do it's very linear it took me quite a while to get through it, but at no point did I feel like I couldn't beat it. There were a lot of parts that were challenging, and it was one of these games that does scare you. You know, we've lost that a lot in, in a lot of the, the newer titles, that alien predator for the Atari Jaguar type of scariness that can happen. But it, yeah. happened, it happened a couple times in Resistance, so I was happy about that. But I got through this, and I decided, well, before I pack this in with one of our t-shirt giveaways or something let me play this online and i did the online thing with this because i had so much fun with mag uh i did the online thing with this and it was a lot like the unreal tournaments and things like this where you can jump up but it was kind of cool because if you don't know what resistance fall man is it's set around the 1950s and it's a pseudo world war except it's a war against aliens so that's really kind of cool because you're sort of in that gear you're in europe for the fall of man and you're in europe and you're sort of going through world war ii type of things but you have a little bit more sophisticated weaponry as well because there's aliens involved here and you sure. might have gotten some of their technology and stuff like that so it's really cool to see these zombified humans and things like this rolling around or mute mutant mutinized humans and when you play the online version of this like i said it's a very unreal feel to this unreal tournament you can go on these hover fans would pop you up but it puts you over top of this very stylized cityscape that you're used to going through in the whole resistance fall of man so it's sort of like that 1950s european bounding over half-demolished rooftops <laughs> and one team is the military uh, the humans and the other team is the aliens and you try to beat the opposing team and then the other half of the online experience uh, per each round is then you switch places you play as the aliens and oh, sure. so your red team is now the aliens and then they change it to humans so that's how it goes and you go through that and on around and that was kind of fun but i did put in resistance too and let me tell you there's no need to go through this resistant one uh unless you really are into the franchise but resistance 2 is like the switch between black and white cinematography to color cinematography it is an amazing <laughs> dynamic and what a great game resistance 2 is and i've only gotten into the very first missions of it but the aliens run after you it's really really done well and the the, the graphics are like I said, like twice as good as the original one. 
character animations, everything. I haven't tried the online, but hopefully I have more to talk about Resistance 2. I know it's a kind of an old uh, title for the PlayStation 3, but great experience. And my first forte into the multi-online environment thing with the mag. Uh, I don't think I'll be going back there anytime soon. <laughs> have fun with your new computer. Yeah, thanks. Talk to you later. Bye, man. Bye. Eric Alex, Eric Alex, you can hear Eric Alex on We Talk Games, We Talk Games podcast. In fact, you might already be listening to it now. Oh, man, I'm very excited about our next guest. I don't know whether I should take this crowbar to the soda machine or threaten the bartender. Let's get Noah Falstein on the line. All right. San Francisco, go! Noah Falstein, hit us! Hey. What's going on, man? <laughs> Life as usual. Yeah, yeah, good good going on the, on the West Coast. I'm on the East Coast. I'm the one with the headache. That's right, now I remember. Noah, you started in the video game industry in the 80s, 1980. That's right, come up on 30 years in a few more months. Fantastic. You worked with some of the greatest companies that I, I mean, when I go down my list of things I still enjoy to play uh, and things that I think I enjoy to play until I play them, you definitely have worked for these companies. Well, I've been real lucky. I've uh, got a chance to work for some really great companies and often, you know, in startup mode, so I get to see them built out of nothing. And it's been a very exciting time. Now, the first uh, game that you worked on, well, one of, one of the first games, I would assume, and probably the one that has resonated throughout the years with all sorts of gamers, especially arcade gamers and, and shooter shooter gamers, has been Sinistar. And I'd like to just take a moment to talk about Sinistar a bit. Absolutely. Uh, I actually worked for Milton Bradley, the company that you know makes it better known for board games and puzzles for a few years, but worked on about 10 projects, and every one of them was canceled before they put it out the door. So Sinistar was the first thing that I actually got to work on that shipped, and uh, as you say, it, it still has quite a cult following. Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, I don't know, did you ever hear of the philosophical relevance of Sinistar? Oh, absolutely. That's uh, great. Somebody had pointed out that to me online about five years ago, and I, I met the fellow who wrote that. Any stories about uh, programming that? What What did you have to work with? Uh, what, what oh, was... sure. Well, I mean, it was an interesting project. Uh, that was in 82 that I started working on it, and okay. uh, we actually ended up with a team of about three and a half programmers and you know, one and a half artists and a sound guy, and it was a really big team for, for those days. Mm-hmm. Uh, small by today's standards, but it was exciting to be coordinating a group like that. And uh, Williams Electronics was a, a great company. We had had uh, a, a string of successes like Defender and Stargate and Joust and Robotron, and Sinistar was meant to, uh, you know, come along and be the next big fast-action shooter at that time. Mm-hmm. So uh, they brought me in. I was one of their new guys, you know, assigned to this project uh, that had been running into a little bit of trouble. They'd been having trouble getting it off the ground. Uh, and it came together really well. We had a lot of fun. It was a very tough game, uh, both to make and to play. You know, we really tried to make it as challenging as the uh, other games. And sure. as the project leader, I ended up tuning the game. So I, I kept making it harder until I was having trouble playing it. So that's how I knew we were at the right stage. Yeah, so yeah. It's actually, by definition, a tough game for me to play. 
Very good, very good. And Sinstar, one of the my favorite elements of it, and, and most people's, especially the people behind the philosophical relevance of Sinistar, is the, is the audible taunts. How early in the game design was audio a part of the consideration there? Well, it came in pretty early. Uh, the original concept for the game came from a guy named John Newcomer who had called it Juggernaut and had a, a somewhat different kind of look and feel. And when I came in, you know, John handed the reins over and we brainstormed a little bit. And Ken Fidesna, who was the head of engineering there, who was with the company until just a couple of years ago, basically spent his whole career there, right. he was the one who said, why not put speech in that? We'd had a pinball game called Black Knight that um, sure. taunted you in a similar way, and we had the chip for that and uh, had never put it in a video game before and thought it was time to you know, add some voice to the games. Oh. There had been a few that had been out before us uh, that had done voice, but I think Sinistar was the most extensive use of it at the time. You know, even with only you know, seven different things that he said, that was uh, quite a bit for a game in those days when you know, memory was measured in bytes, not even you know, K when you're sure. in storage. It wasn't speech synthesis, it was actually samples. Yeah, it was samples, and it was, uh, we, we had a synthesizer for our sound effects so that uh, we could actually keep the data to an absolute minimum there. But the speech was all digitized, and at that point, the, the arcade games were really the um, you know, high-end systems of the game industry, that the home game systems, you know, this was before Nintendo you know, even had their first console, so the standard was the Atari VCS that had 128 bytes of RAM and, mm-hmm. and 4K cartridges that you, know, you really couldn't fit anything in there. So we had luxuries like, um, I forget how much was dedicated to the speech, probably something like 8K memory, which, you know, as I say, was double the entire game for one of the Atari uh, console cartridges at that time, but still an absolutely tiny amount by any standards today. You know, the, the shortest song that people have is many times that size just to get reasonable quality. So, you know, we, we crammed it in there. We got a, um, a radio announcer, in fact, from the Chicago area, a guy named John Doremus, to do the voices. Oh, okay. And, and he did everything except the roar. That we asked him to do a roar, and I, you know, I wish we'd kept the audio track because his best attempt was something like, <laughs> it was just terrible. So uh, we ended up blending together. I think it was a, a lion's roar with some special effects, or it, it might have been some other kind of animal that we got out of the... Uh, local Chicago Zoo, uh, and, you know, somebody went down and recorded it. Wow, fantastic. The whole game, as you said, you, you tried to make it difficult, and when I think about the next shooter to eclipse Defender or Stargate, I, of course, think of going out and mining. What more uh, can you do possibly that's more uh, <laughs> aggressive than mining? But uh, but then, you, then Sinistar makes his appearance, and th- it feels like it's the exorcist going on. There, there's some real tension there. Um, well, you know, it, it was a game that uh, made an impression on people because his entrance is delayed, and, and I have to credit uh, John Newcomer with that for coming up with the ideas. He was a really brilliant stager of things and, and realized that if you didn't know what this thing was until partway into the game and then suddenly it comes in and it's you know, nearly invincible, your, your bullets don't touch it anymore, it would just really startle people. But the addition of voice and the fact that it just roars when it comes onto the screen. Mm-hmm. A lot of people had the experience that the first time they played, when the Sinistar showed up, they actually were so startled, they jumped back from the console. <laughs> yeah. Of course, he, he munches on their ship, and they lose a life instantly. 
and happily their first reaction was, you know, I got to get this guy, you know, who just who just killed me off, and not uh, what a stupid game. <laughs> but uh, it really did startle quite a few people. Yeah, it's it's a it's real it's a real gaming moment. It was a really fun game to work on, uh, partly because of the team. Uh, one of the things that I will remember for personal reasons is uh, I hired a guy named R.J. Michael to do some of the explosions and special effects in the game. Oh. And R.J. returned the favor a few years later by introducing me to the woman that I ended up uh, getting married to. Oh, yeah. so I've been very grateful to him, and we've stayed friends all these years uh, since then. Uh, another great video game union disclosed here on We Talk Games. We we had Nolan Bushnell. Uh, he talked about many people falling in love over Pong, and now now this. Yep. Well, and in fact, RJ went on to start on the Amiga computer and met his wife at Amiga. So uh, it was a, a multiple game uh, and computer relationship uh, nexus point that way. I think maybe these online dating services have got it all wrong. They just need to bring people together playing games. Speaking of which, uh, this will sort of jump around a little bit. I think uh, a large body of your work, unless I'm uh, completely mistaken, is focused primarily on the individual gaming experience, the personal gaming experience. Did you work on anything that was more of a social gaming experience or anything in the plans for that or... Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've worked on so many different things. I love variety so much mm. that at this point, the, the simplest way to describe it is that I, I haven't done sports games, and I've done pretty much everything else, you know, almost every type of platform and certainly every game genre. Okay. And, in fact, when I was at Lucasfilm, I was sharing the office with a guy named Chip Morningstar, who was the lead designer behind something called Habitat that was the very first graphic-based virtual world. In fact, Chip coined the term avatar as it's used today. That oh. uh, you know, he was the first one to use that for for you know graphic representation of yourself that you you know see in an online virtual world. Sure. It was released as something called Club Carib uh, on the system that actually predated America Online. But we had this up and running. I should say uh, Chip and, and Randy and Eric, the guys who worked on it, had it up and running back in '88. Commodore 64s with 300 baud modems, and, and yet they could actually have multiple avatars moving around in a virtual world and chat and teleportation booths and wow. uh, you know all the kinds of stuff that we've grown used to with online games now that really were, were pioneered way back then. Sure, sure. Fantastic. Let's jump into uh, Lucas. I know that you, you've done... Uh, how many games do you think that you've worked on? 70, 80? Oh, at, at least that many. I wow. mean, probably about 70 or 80 that have been published or at least gotten out into the public and at two or three times that number that you know were only in design phases or, or got canceled for one reason or another. Right, right. Let's talk about a little bit about LucasArts. You you worked there back when it was called LucasFilms uh, and, and then into LucasArts, and you worked on a lot of the games that Spielberg was also involved with, and pretty much the inception, the birth of the SCUM system. A lot of people familiar with gaming know, have heard of, heard of SCUM, and we may even use SCUM in probably an unlicensed manner of some sort. Uh, but SCUM was a, a big uh, push, a revolutionary uh, 
graphical adventure game system. It was sort of a cross between code and uh, a language. It was basically a, uh, a, a sort of an assembly language designed okay. specifically for adventure games that uh, Ron Gilbert and, and Eric Wilmunder, who I, I mentioned with Habitat, uh, mm-hmm. basically put together. And I had hired Ron to uh, do the Commodore 64 port of Coronas Rift, uh, the first game that I did at LucasArts back when it was just Lucasfilm Games. And Ron and I have stayed friends ever since then and worked on each other's games many times over the years. But he basically put that together to form the the core engine that we used for most of the uh, adventure games and at LucasArts up through uh, into the 90s. Then they eventually they they gave up and and came up with a new system shortly before they they killed off their current Woolworth then on adventure games and happily they've been reviving some of that and republishing our old games uh, on Steam and um, embedding them in some of their new releases. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Now, I've seen some brief clips of the Lucas Ranch, the soundstage and studios. What was the game development environment like at Lucasfilms? Well, we were there for four years at at Skywalker Ranch. Uh, I I worked for Lucasfilm for eight years back from uh, 82 to, sorry, 84 to 92. And uh, the middle of four years that I was there, we were at Skywalker Ranch, and we were actually the first uh, creative group to work up there when it had just opened. We we moved into a building that, in fact, was just finishing construction, and it was certainly the nicest place I've ever worked in my life and mm. really ever expect to work. It was so uh, beautiful and, and such a great setting. It's out in the hills here in Marin, uh, close to where I live now. I came out here to work here and, and just fell in love with the area. George Lucas has great taste in um, places to live in the world. Sure. And uh, it's it's a huge area. We had these beautiful buildings that were built according to a storyboard to look like they'd been around for a hundred years. Mm. They actually artificially aged the wood and uh, rusted some of the metal so that it would look like it fit in. And it's very much like walking into a movie set and getting to work there. Wow. Um, wow. Very comfortable. Uh, in fact, one of the, the exciting things was uh, when we had the Loma Prieta earthquake in 1989, we were actually having a meeting in the main house there in this gorgeous conference room with a, a giant mahogany desk, and the ground started shaking, and we were joking with uh, Brian Moriarty, who had been the project leader on Loom, because he was very into earthquakes and you know had been putting up a map on his wall and putting in pins. So you know, we said, hey, Brian, here's another one for your map. And then suddenly it got really serious and went from just being a mild shake to heavy-duty one. And Brian looked at us and said, everybody under the table. So it was sort of like a cartoon where I, I remember everyone looking at each other, seeing this solid, you know, thick mahogany table. And the next thing I remember is almost all of us were underneath it, you know, looking out. I don't even remember getting underneath, but... Uh, you know, it was a, a very beautiful place to work, and yeah. I've got lots of fond memories. Um, uh, one of our guys got one of the bullwhips. It was oh, made by the oh. same people who did it for the Indiana Jones movies, and would go out behind our, our building and practice by snapping the heads off of weeds. And uh, he got really good at it, so it sounded like gunshots as he was uh, practicing with the bullwhip back there. Sure, speed of sound. Hey, uh, w- do you ever see Joseph Campbell walking around back then? No, we worked in that same library where those uh, Bill Moyer shots were made, but they really taught you early on, if there are any celebrities around, and mm. there often were, to just act as if they weren't there and, you know, walk past them and ignore them. Gotcha. So, uh, there were a lot of um, 
uh, recording stars in particular, because they did a lot of audio recording there. You know, people like Huey Lewis and Bonnie Raitt were were there uh, frequently, for example. But I never saw Bill Moyers, uh, just a, a handful of other stars. I see. And you mentioned how they uh, tried to uh, make this more like a mythical thing. What was George's involvement? Did his spirit of mythos trickle into any of your projects or all of your projects? Well, it's interesting. George, you know, he has had amazing vision for the use of uh, computers and high-tech. He did some of the very early video editing. He started up the guys that spun off to become Pixar, and we were all part of the same computer division together. He started games long before, you know, other companies were even thinking about it. And yet he really isn't into that stuff himself. He, uh, he doesn't like to play video games, and he would spend, I would say, no more than an hour or two every year with, with the games group. And we were a little bit disappointed right up until uh, I got to work on The Dig, which uh, came in from Steven Spielberg, who you know had come by to do some editing on, um, boy, I've forgotten the name of it now, is Richard Dreyfuss as a firefighter. Um, anyway... Um, Spielberg was a real game nut and, and still loves to play video games all the time and suddenly George was really excited because now his friend Steven wanted to play with the games group and so he was suddenly involved with our, our early meetings on the dig and, I see. Uh, it was fun to work with both of them on that because they, they both put in on, on brainstorming uh, sessions now completely off the record except that I will broadcast it did George <laughs> ever share with you his ultimate plan to destroy pinball <laughs> no, I never heard that. I one. guess he kept that secret then. <laughs> now, speaking of speaking of the dig, uh, which types of narratives do you prefer in adventures games? You like to do the well, I guess you like them all, but do you, would you say that you preferred the more comedy nature, like the Sam and Max hit the road, or more serious nature, like the dig? Well, you know, I was one of the few people who who spanned that. You know, most people specialized in one or the other. That Ron, for example, Ron Gilbert worked mostly on the comedy stuff, and I know he's got his new Death Spank that's coming out shortly. It's uh, in the same vein. And in fact, Ron and I and David Fox were co-project leaders on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And the only time we really had a serious disagreement was whether to treat the end of the game seriously or comically. And I was pushing for serious. Ron wanted comedy. And what happened is we compromised. We set up a random number generator, and some of the time uh, it plays it my way, some of the time it played it Ron's way, and we, uh. we checked over uh, the code to make sure the other guy wasn't cheating on us and <laughs> setting it up to, to just be random up until it was released and then switch over to the other side. Right, right. So I really like both. I mean, I, I think for adventure games, uh, Ron has made a point uh, that comedy is a really good thing to do in adventure games. So some of the puzzles are so obscure and ridiculous that if it's not a comedy game, it's just hard to take it seriously. And at least with comedy, you can laugh at, at using a, a monkey as a monkey wrench. But uh, <laughs> if you try and put that into a serious game, and, and many people have, then yeah. it just feels incongruous. Yeah, right, right. It's not it's not playing it for the truth. Can you divulge any Easter eggs that you personally might have put into games? Oh, let's see. Uh, well, you know, the very first Easter egg I did was back in Sinistar, where we uh, stuck our names in the game, which in, the, in those days was a, um, a big no-no, and we were actually really afraid we might get fired if they found out we had done it. And that was the first type of Easter egg, right? Oh, no, I'm, I'm sure other people did it before okay. we did. Uh, in fact, I remember hearing about that kind of thing from someone else before we, we put it in our game. Okay. But uh, it was certainly the, the first one I know of that got into one of the Williams games. 
the Lucasfilm, you know, we didn't put in that much. Uh, in, in Coronas Rift, I did something similar, that there was one of the levels in the games that essentially if you put it into a, a level editor, which, of course, we didn't provide for the game, <laughs> it you could see my initials were the landscape, and I just uh, started with my initials and built it in that way. But nothing too outrageous. You know, with the comedy games, we were pretty upfront about the, the funny stuff and the crazy stuff. We, we put in references to all of our other games, and I came up with something in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where Indy's in uh, a castle and and one of the comedy lines as he's trying to, to talk his way past the guards is uh, I'm selling these fine leather jackets and for some reason that one kind of got picked up and, and was in almost every adventure game we had after that uh, it was just a running joke sure, you know, sure. usually in the, the least appropriate way you talked about a lot of uh, canceled projects. What what are some of your favorite unreleased or canceled projects uh, while working? Uh, well, and throughout your career, even. Well, you know, I, a lot of them were at Lucasfilm. We were very fertile in you know our, our coming up with ideas, but sure. you know, we only had limited resources, of course, to actually make them. One of my favorites was one that I worked on with with Ron. It was his idea uh, originally. Something called "I Was a Teenage Lobot." And uh, it was really, I think, very cleverly set up to take advantage of what the computers of that time could do well. It was set in the future where they'd just given up on artificial intelligence and realized it was easier to take a person and lobotomize them and use their mm. brain to control a robot. But only criminals were you know, supposed to, to you know, be used that way. It was a, a death sentence, basically. Wow. And what happens is you're essentially shanghaied, that you know, your brain, you, know, you, you go to sleep one day and wake up as a shoeshine robot with your brain inside this robot body, but they haven't actually, um, they're, they're keeping your body alive to, to use it for spare parts, so the, the object of the game, you're on a space station, so you're in this isolated area that was good for the computers we had at the time, and your object is to figure out how to get back into your body when all that you can do is say, yes, no, would you like a shoe shine? and that will be seven credits, uh, please. And from there, you kind of work your way up uh, the ladder and get your brain put into different robot bodies before eventually you, you solve the mystery of who it was that disembodied you like that. Wow, wow. Yeah, I still think that would make a great game. I, I've talked around on and off that I think that would be a fun one to, uh, to resuscitate. Yeah, much better than Wirehead for the Sega CD. I don't know if you... <laughs> No, I never that's, saw that one. That's completely not this. Of all the scum-based games uh, to be released by LucasArts, which do you think are your favorites among the ones that you didn't work on? Well, let's see. Probably the original Secret of Monkey Island, I would say. that. Uh, I mean, I worked on that a little bit. I contributed the idea of insult sword fighting to that, but... Uh, you know, really, I, w- I wasn't part of the core team, so I got to enjoy it more as a spectator than a uh, developer. And I also really enjoyed uh, Day of the Tentacle that was done uh, primarily by Dave Grossman and Tim Schaefer. I just thought the, the comedy and the puzzles in that one came together particularly well. I particularly like the time travel puzzles uh, in that game that involved some pretty outrageous stunts. Well, one of my favorite $700 systems has got to be the 3DO, so I have to know what your involvement with the, with the 3DO was there. Well, I was employee number nine at the, it was actually called SMSG when I joined. They hadn't even named it the, the 3DO company. Wow. And I worked directly for Trip Hawkins, who had, you know, started the company sure. uh, after starting Electronic Arts. And 
Uh, it was quite a wild ride. I was just there for uh, the first two years, really, as we went public. And um, it was my friend RJ that I mentioned from Sinistar. He actually worked on the hardware for the 3DO and let me know about it early on uh, after I left LucasArts and said, you really should come here and, and mm. get involved in this startup. Uh, and it was uh, really ahead of its time. I mean, what Trip mm. envisioned was kind of like what you know, the Xbox 360 is today, that sure. he hoped that we could build that with the technology of the mid-90s, and, and of course it just wasn't quite possible. But that idea of having a disc-based system that would play movies and play high-resolution games, and one of the things Trip used as a selling point is that he envisioned this future where it would all be, you know, hooked up, uh, networked together, and you'd be able to play a game and watch a movie and see somebody wearing clothes on, on the movie and say, yeah, I'd like to buy that and, you know, be taken to a, uh, a Macy's uh, account to order it online. And this was all you know, pre-World Wide Web, so he was really uh, quite a visionary on that. But as you say, $700, which wasn't our original intention, it was a pretty stiff price to pay for a game console. Corrected for inflation, it was still the second most expensive console, I think, of all time. Uh, with I think it was the Neo Geo was the only one that mm. actually cost more. Yeah, I, yeah I, I had Neo Geo. I had the another very expensive uh, system to to import was the uh, Super Graphics, the NEC Super Graphics, which was a successor to the PC Engine Turbo Graphics. But I also had the 3DO, and I had the CDI as well. Those were all pretty expensive uh, systems, and the Laser Active that was expensive as well. But yeah, the, the, well, I worked on uh, almost all those systems, not on Laser Active, but on most of the others at one time or another. Really fantastic. Well, the 3DO. I mean, hey, you couldn't go wrong because you had Shelley Duvall's It's a Bird Life uh, that you could play in there for <laughs> six months. Yeah, we had a little trouble with the launch titles. For a while, that was going to be our number one launch title, and we were pretty horrified, but uh, uh, they came through with... Um, Oh, God, what was it called? It wasn't Road Rash, but it was... Uh... Crash and Burn, that's what it was called. Hey, very good, absolutely. Yeah. Boy, yeah, I, I, I played. I still can play that. Uh, you know, it's a little rough, because it, 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 the pixels are, are showing their age, but, but it, still, it still has a lot of uh, comedy to it. It's still a big production for its time. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that was uh, really... Um, Strauss Zelnick had, had come over from uh, the movie industry to... Uh, had up Crystal Dynamics and, and you mm. know, really wanted it to be treated in the same level as movie productions. That in the mid-90s at that point, there was a, a big push to uh, blend uh, Hollywood and games. And uh, in the games industry, we were a little resentful because the Hollywood people were kind of coming in and trying to take over, and uh, that didn't work out too well. Right, right. Right, right. You had mentioned about bringing back graphical adventures, making a resurgence. Of course, you know, every every genre of games goes through uh, swells. And uh, I don't think anything really killed graphical adventures, uh, unless you might think something did. I don't think there was necessarily a proliferation of graphical adventures. I just think it went through its natural cycle. But Telltale Games has brought back familiar franchises like Sam and Max and most recently Monkey Island. Um, what do you think of the Telltale's episodic gaming formula? I think it works quite well. I mean, it, it lowers the, the barrier to entry. Uh, we wanted to do that, you know, back 20 years ago, but the, the market wasn't ready for it. That you really need online distribution to make episodic work because mm. if you're selling a game in a store, 
a cheap episodic game takes up just as much shelf space as a much bigger, you know, uh, full price game, and yet it only makes a very small margin for the store owner. So there always was tremendous resistance to putting cheap games on the shelves. But of course, when you don't have shelves, then there's no problem, mm-hmm. and it means that people can uh, try something episodic and and you know see if they like it before they commit to the whole thing. I think it's great. I played uh, the first episode of the new Monkey Island game, and Dave Grossman, who was involved with the very first uh, couple of Monkey Island games, has been creative director over at Telltale and doing a great job, and they, they have a lot of other ex-LucasArts guys there, so they've, they've kept a really nice feel to it. Oh, great. Uh, what, what systems do you currently own or play? Oh, a little bit of everything. I have to say, just on uh, Saturday, a couple days ago, I got my uh, first iPhone, and I've just started to put games on that, and I'm uh, already in love with it. I have a feeling I'll be playing a lot of games on that one. I've got a, um, an Xbox 360 and a Wii. I've, I've played a lot of uh, Wii games with uh, my daughter and my wife, and I had a PSP, but the, the disk drive died. Uh, I have a DS that I use all the time when I go uh, to the gym. I, I play uh, whatever the latest version of Advance Wars is as I work on a stationary bike. Oh, great. And uh, it's a way of using my game addiction in a positive sense because I, I burn a lot more calories when I'm playing that game than I do when I'm uh, you know, just trying to pedal. Oh, there you have it. You hear it here first. And boy, talk about a, a system that really would work well on graphical. Adventures. I think the iPhone could do that quite well. Um, I guess. Oh, absolutely. I've been talking to my friends about that, and uh, I really think we're going to be seeing a lot of. Not necessarily. See, I, I'm a little bit leery of graphic adventures. That, as you say, they never quite died out, but they certainly, particularly in the U.S., went into a very quiet phase. Mm-hmm. And I think there were, unfortunately, some pretty good reasons for that. That okay. the, the most important one. It's a bit abstract, but uh, in every other type of game, you can gradually, incrementally get better at uh, advancing through the game. You know, whether it's you know, killing monsters or uh, accumulating. Uh, objects and going up levels but with uh, you know, adventure games it's solving puzzles and you either solve the puzzle or you don't that you know hint systems can kind of get you partway there but not really and it's not very satisfying to partially solve a puzzle mm-hmm. um, and it really is a fatal flaw I think at making adventure games at least in their kind of classic point and click solve the puzzle method mass market and that's why uh, Ron's new game for example is more in the Diablo role-playing vein, you know, where a lot of us are trying to experiment now with bringing the same kind of story and even, in some cases, humor to new game genres, but not be stuck with puzzle solving as the only way to uh, actually progress through the story. Gotcha, gotcha, great. Uh, well, that's, that's very exciting. What are your thoughts on the shift from raster graphics to the polygons in the graphical adventures? Well, I've always been kind of agnostic when it comes to graphics. That The first game that I saw at LucasArts when I came to interview was Rescue on Fractalus that was way ahead of its time doing a, essentially a first-person 3D game with, you know, they did a lot of trickery to, to make it look right, but at the time it was much more realistic as a, a 3D flying and shooting game mm-hmm. than anything that had been done before. So all of my career, really, I've been... 
on that edge of 2D and 3D and new technology. Really, I think gameplay is much more about what you do as a player, and the graphics are really the aesthetics and the, the veneer. And it's, it's certainly important, but you know, in the same way that a sports car will look a lot better with a beautiful paint job, but you still don't start thinking about the paint before you, you start building it. It's uh, mm-hmm. you know, the last thing you put on that way. I see, I see. For the past 13 years, you have formed your own company, The Inspiracy. That's right. I've been uh, basically working as a freelance game designer. And at this point, with 13 years under my belt, I'm pretty sure I've been doing that longer than anyone else in the world. Uh, I, I probably would have heard about it if there was anyone else who's continuously being a freelance game designer. And it's been great. I really love the lifestyle, and uh, I love the variety that it, it brings me. With the Inspiracy, I went to the website, of course, and I uh, looked there. There's something else very interesting to me. Serious Games and, of course, the 400 Project. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, that was something uh, Hal Barwood, who was my collaborator, co-designer on Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, he and I became friends back then in 90, 92, and have basically stayed friends ever since. And oh, about seven or eight years ago, he gave a talk at the Game Developers Conference in uh, San Jose at that point about the idea that there might be 400 or so rules of good game design. <laughs> and he set it out almost as a a random number just uh, he had come up with four rules that he wanted to talk about and so four of the 400 sounded great because of the alliteration it wasn't really a, a serious study but it, it really intrigued me and a lot of other people and i went to hal and said how about if we start collecting what these rules are from other game designers write up our own and so we've been doing that primarily me actually i, I did it through the game developer magazine design column that i i wrote for about six years and uh, we've got a few hundred of these at this point, and I, I've recently actually started expanding it and thinking of doing a book about it. No, and uh, they range from really common sense stuff, practical things about the process of design, like how you should probably start with a middle level in the game and not the very first or very last level, mm. uh, to more abstract things. There, there's a, a quote from Albert Einstein that I particularly like where he said, uh, Everything should be made as simple as possible, but no simpler, which I think is a wonderful premise for a lot of game design. Yeah. I've talked to a lot of my game design friends about it, and we've kicked it back and forth, and uh, it's really, I think, a very useful tool in the arsenal of uh, most game designers at this point. Yeah, definitely. Uh, anything else that you wanted to talk about? Not well, all. I, you know, I mentioned serious games just because that's oh, yeah. been a fascination with me. That uh, that's really a very new area that involves games that have a purpose beyond entertainment. That often it's uh, training and education, but it can also be persuasion. Uh, there was a game, for example, called Darfur is Dying that was put out as a student project to show people what was going on in the Darfur region in Sudan. Mm -hmm. There are games that actually treat illnesses, everything from arachnophobia to attention deficit disorder to Parkinson's. There are games to help train doctors and healthcare givers. Games, I worked on uh, a recent one with my old friend Larry Holland, who did the X-Wing and TIE Fighter games. We did a game for uh, Cisco Systems to teach network engineers about basic networking. And my sense is that in another 10 or 20 years, games and interactive learning simulations are going to be a bigger business than the entire uh, entertainment game industry is right now. 
Wow, that is very, very interesting. And that's definitely what our listeners and the whole We Talk Game crew is all about, is that is that integration, that vision of understanding that it, it goes beyond gaming. It, it's, it can. It can. It doesn't have to. It can go into learning. It can go into the arts. It can, it can all be a, a happening of life. Well, I should say one of my, my favorite projects I worked on as a serious game was something called Remission from a company called Hope Lab. And that was actually done to help teenagers with cancer learn why they have to stick to their chemotherapy treatment wow. regimens. And the thing that was really gratifying about it is that they did a, a huge study, I think $3.75 million just to study its effectiveness, and found, uh, you know, quite to everyone's relief that it actually made a big difference in getting these kids who normally would, would tend to stop taking chemotherapy uh, drugs because the, the drugs themselves made them feel sick. Sure. and teenagers are not really good at abstract thinking about what's going to happen to them. Sure. But by playing the game, uh, and, and really no other uh, factor, because they, they did a double-blind study with this, it actually helped keep these kids on their chemotherapy regimen. And uh, and it was a, basically a third-person shooter game, too. It's very violent, but you're killing bacteria and cancer cells. So ah. when people talk about how violent games should be banned, I like to bring that up as a, a counterexample, that it's actually saving the lives of kids with cancer. And like many other censorship arguments if you start to get too far over and say everything should be banned and it's just all terrible you end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater yeah definitely i mean it's all, it's all part of uh, life so, i mean life is nothing but eating other things so that you can live that's really a, a dynamic story and no you are a trove of video game information and experience i'd love to have you on the show again maybe in the future we could talk about some other things but thank you so very much for taking time out of your schedule noah falstein thank you for being on we talk games thank you it was a real pleasure wow in my opinion another great moment for we talk games i I think that serious games is incredible i cannot wait to learn more about this let's go cross the pond man let's bring the other co-host in here and it's Garthy, go! And we're gone. Johnny Capcom, what's going on, man? Uh, traveling? And yeah, you and me both. I traveled just during the show. I was at the convention and then in the car and then now here. It's been crazy. You know, Wekak Flipkleys, they want to make everything work on a uh, the most economically sound and inconvenient to the, the, the hosts of the show way possible i know i mean uh, like we've all gotten the telegrams you know yeah they make you travel as well i know that i know i'd like to do it from home but for some reason they're obsessed with me going into the local telegram station they they make you go into the western union yeah i'm sitting on top of a hill it's cold and there's a graveyard near me and i don't like it but the anascarthy telegram service Slash graveyard slash wet gap flip please and you have to, uh, international ambassador right now you have your yes and right now you have your your boot spikes dug into the telegraph pole oh I do yeah all right what's going on man uh, well some weird kind of video game type of deals this month okay and um I got to play a, an interesting uh, arcade game ah. as weird as that, that might sound and that would be Rambo. <laughs> The arcade game Which from Sega. So relevant. Oh, I guess because of the new Rambo movie that came out nope. two years ago. Oh, no, this is going back even? Oh, yeah, you started out in Rambo 3. Wow. And it's a two-player game, 
And um, you can... Why wouldn't it be? <laughs> but you can be Rambo and his army friend, Colonel Troutman. Okay, of course, who I Colonel kept Troutman. Colin Colonel Decker, getting the A-team mixed up, but they're basically <laughs> the same character. <laughs> At least you're but, not being Rambo and Apollo Creed or something. <laughs> Wouldn't be surprised or, about that. Or uh, who was, uh, was uh, Brian Dennehy in the first one? Uh, <sighs> he should, <you> <laughs> he should be the boss or something. But uh, basically, yeah, it's it was weird. I only got to play like, through the first level. For some reason, you know, there were like Rambo, Vietnam veteran. He's in Soviet Union <laughs> or in Afghanistan fighting against the Soviet Union. You know what we need? Hip-hop soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like a gem. Uh, it actually is, and it's fun to play. And uh, I do put it up. Me and my friend were playing it, and uh, we got some video of it actually, which I'll be putting up online sooner or later. Okay, very good. And um, it's bizarre. It's really accurate, though. That's the weird thing. It's like it's a it's a solid game, and it reminded me. It seemed like Sega were influenced by the obvious one, Operation Wolf. Okay, and, so uh, is it the- first person or? Yeah, you, well, you know, you just got your gun and you're shooting at the screen. Well, okay, very good, very good. It's weird because like the character models were surprisingly good as well. I mean, they got the full-on Stallone perm captured perfectly. <laughs> All the steroids and everything. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like it, he's gassed it, it, up. Oh, and in Rambo Three, especially. I mean, it got ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I didn't get to, to the later levels obviously because it's an arcade game and they still, you know, screw you over after the first level. Yeah. But I mean. It was classic arcade in one respect because the end boss is a helicopter, which just reminded me of like Operation Wolf and sure. Nam and stuff like that. You know? Yep, yep. A fun game, and if you can find it, the cabinet is actually really nice looking as well because it's got a lot of like gaudy Rambo eighties kind of stuff to it, like you know, and uh, it looks like the kind of thing that Stallone would make if he was making a cab, you know. Wow. Yeah, I mean, Sega, again, you know, there was some other weird stuff around, but don't get your hopes up. You know, arcades are still as bad as they always were. Oh, that's sad. But, uh... Can't wait for next year when uh, Sega releases Saturday Night Fever 2, Staying Alive, featuring John Travolta. Or, uh, Cobra. That'd be great. But, uh, I also, while I was down there... Cobra, didn't he he cut pizza with scissors? Isn't that what uh, happened there? I think so. It has a scissor controller. But uh, crime is the disease, and he's the cure. He is. He is. And, uh, but uh, I, I got to play uh, Guitar Hero Arcade. Oh, okay, well. right. Yeah, I saw this. I saw this at the at the CC's Pizza. Yeah, it's exactly what I expected it to be. And I always thought that uh, Guitar Hero would have made a fantastic arcade game if it had been released mm-hmm. during the the height of the arcades. Obviously, the guitars were disgusting because they've obviously <laughs> never been clean. And and that's the thing. Uh, you know, this was at CC's. I don't know if you know what CC's is in, in the UK, but um, they are a, a pizza chain where you pay $5 and then you you can eat all day in a trough of pizza. Now I think it went up to five eighty five, but still. 
you can imagine the type of clientele that you get at a $5 all-you-can-eat pizza joint. It's all the soccer teams and everything else after pee-wee soccer lets out. And the manatees. Yes, yeah, so uh, it is It is full trough feeders and little kids running up with, you know, pizzas in one hand and the guitar in the other. So they're strumming with a soggy the salad. Yeah, it's not good. Caesar well, dressing thing, all over the place. This thing, the strap, was seemed like it was made out of some kind of iron because you couldn't adjust it, whatever. And the guitar itself was friggin' so heavy. Ah. And... Uh, and that was the thing. I thought to myself, I guarantee you these things are going to be really heavy. Because mm-hmm. I thought, if they had built a Guitar Hero arcade to stop you from stealing them, they'd make it out of iron <laughs> yes. or something, you know? Gotcha. Or like die-cast metal. And, but it was weird because it was basically Guitar Hero 3, mm. but it had some weird exclusive songs on there. Okay. Like by Bob Seger and people like that. and Just bizarre. And like you had to pay extra to play like barracuda or whatever oh. for some reason hmm. basically the same type of game and an interesting difficulty kind of setting because when the song starts it's basically the easy mode and then the further you get in the song it gets the difficulty level actually goes up and you have to use start using extra buttons i see it's a curiosity and it's not as good as playing your guitar hero in your home oh, well. but still if you can find one i definitely Definitely say just play it for a few minutes. Just wear rubber gloves. gloves. Yeah, rubber gloves, hazmat suit, and maybe a Geiger kind of derp. (laughs) Right on, man. Actually, one thing I will say, and hopefully the uh, audience over here in Europe will will agree with me, and that's Nintendo needs to change every single advertisement they're doing at the moment Uh because they're stripping all the charm away from the product. They're trying to go like, oh, look, Everyone can play one of these, mm. you know. It's like, oh, look, look at a priest playing Metroid or something, you know. <laughs> the Archbishop of Canterbury's playing it. Yeah, you can't get enough of it. But, uh, <laughs> and you know, making weird statements. But uh, <laughs> there was uh, uh, the last thing I'm going to talk about, and that's this is a bit of hardware. I've got two arcade joysticks here at home now, made by Hori. Okay. The name of the product is generally Fighting Stick whatever. Sure, sure. So so I've got Fighting Stick Wii and Fighting Stick Xbox. Okay. They are made for playing like one-on-one fighters and whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, I think if you're into playing your um, virtual console and your live arcade games, this is a definite thing if you want to have an authentic experience with some of the older ones you know i mean uh, first of all the actual hardware itself is great because the i'm just gonna grab one here now the sticks themselves make a really nice kind of clicky mechanical sound sure the but the buttons are really high quality and uh, they're really easy to connect the wii one i have is uh, actually it's an eight button joystick and the xbox one is a six button but um i got the xbox one just recently and when i brought it home i played uh, Street Fighter 2 HD Remix and the original Turtles Arcade game mm-hmm. and I just enjoyed playing them so much more this way you know sure sure and I mean like a joypad is is kind of the same basically but those older games were made to be played with a stick and buttons you know sure definitely and you, you feel it and uh, again maybe there's people out there who are just kind of maybe they don't care about getting that kind of authentic feeling experience but uh, 
it's just a little bit better. <laughs> what do these rock you? A couple E's, a few L's? Uh, well, the Xbox One cost me 55 euro. Okay. Which which is, you know, it's a big, big chunk of money, but still, you're getting a premium piece of product. I don't know how much the Nintendo One cost because it was a gift. I see. Do these hoary ones come with uh, good warranties on them? Like button replacements or anything like that? Um, I haven't checked that out now, but I mean, they're, I can't imagine you're going to break them or anything. Like, you know, they're sturdy pieces of equipment, like, you know. Because I use X-Arcade equipment, which is even pricier, even more pricey, but they do come with lifetime guarantees on them. If you want to find out more about that, you can go to xgaming.com or x-arcade.com, and I'll take you to the X-Arcade joysticks. And they have the, the tank stick, which is a dual eight-button joysticks with two side buttons as well for, like... Um, pinball-type games, plus a one-player, two-player start buttons at the top, and it has a trackball in the middle. So uh, you, you can get these. I think that's probably going to run you around 200 bucks. But, like I said, they are, they are full arcade hardware on there, and they come with lifetime guarantees. Isn't there one, there's one where you can get, um, and I believe they're like tabletops, but you can get them and they're actually a Neo Geo MVS? So you can open them up, do your joystick thing up, and put in MVS cartridges into it, and just hook it up to your TV. Ah, that I'm not aware of. That's not X-Arcade, but I know X-Arcade makes a, they make a cabinet that you can drop their joystick into, but this joystick you can carry around with you. It, I mean, it's two-player. If you get the two-player, there's a single-player one, there's one that's just a trackball, uh, but the the tool, the dual tank stick is the one that's it's pretty long, but you can buy adapters for this to, to your PS2, PS3, your Wii, your Xbox, your GameCube, and your Mac and PC. Yeah, I've, I've looked into that before, but uh, I can just play one of these down the street. That's why. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I mean, there's other joysticks out there, certainly. And uh, I understand there's, um, for your Xbox at the moment, they, they re-released the Saturn pad, which, I mean, the Saturn oh. pad is a great fighting pad, like, mm -hmm. you know. So you can get the six-footer Saturn pad for your Xbox, basically, you know, and you can play Street Fighter 4 and all whatever with it. To me, it's like having a HDMI cable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. People say you want to play a true HD, you have to have a HD mic. Sure. Well, sure. to me, if you want to play true arcade games, you got to play them with a joystick. Definitely. And as simple as that. And I'd recommend getting them because they're affordable and they're just really high quality. And right on. Oh, if any of the kids out there who never got to play a proper, you know, arcade game or whatever, this is as close as you're going to get unless you like manage to go back in time. <laughs> <laughs> you have anything else? Or? Uh, not really. Other okay. than uh, I've. I picked up Lego Batman yesterday. No, I haven't had a chance to to play it yet, but uh, I would play it properly. Yeah, but for and this is kind of pointless. But for some reason, one thing that really appeals to me about that game is that it's not afraid to make reference to the Schumacher Batman films. Ah, and I just think that's a brave choice. You know, <laughs> I actually like the Schumacher. Ba well, I like Batman Forever, but I think it's interesting that they decided. You know, let's go that way. And it's actually a really funny game as well. All right. Hey, John, uh, I'm going to just take another call. Stay on the line, and then I just got a text from Kyle. He should be uh, getting home uh, shortly, so we'll have you all back on here for the council. Stay tuned. Will do. John E. Capcom. Love it. Did you see the newest thing from Kinetic Card and John E. Capcom, the video compilation on the YouTube? Just do a search for We Talk Games. 
And you can see, uh, like, from episode two, I think. It's it's amazing. I love it. Let's get Kirby on here, and then we're going to go right for the council. Open the line, Keith. Minneapolis, Minnesota! Kirby, turn the world on with your smile! Go! Hey, everybody. Twinkle, twinkle. <laughs> yes. Throw hey, your wait, beret. How are, you how are you doing today? I saw you throw your blueberry beret up in the air. <laughs> Where is that hat? I haven't seen you wearing that hat. It's it's buried in a pile of other things and a bunch okay. of other hats and masks, including the scream mask. Ah, well, I know that you have a great looking shirt. That's for sure. I know it's the the top of high fashion nowadays. You so. were an early adopter of the Pro Gear line. Hey, what do you got for us this month? Well, the first game I want to talk about is uh, actually a PlayStation Two title. Ah, great. Called Rogue Galaxy. It's an RPG. Being that I'm the resident RPG freak of the community here. Yep. And I would easily classify this as my top five, one of my top five RPGs of all time. Oh, that's pretty good. It's kind of similar to the Star Ocean Last Hope. Okay. That we talked about a few months ago. Yeah. And that it's sort of like a JRPG and how the style of it is. Mm -hmm. The combat is all real time. Very good. The game, it's about, uh, the main character, his name is Jasper Rogue, which is what the the game gets its name from. Ah, and like so many other heroes of things, he's an orphan on a desert planet, and he's been adopted by a local church there, and the priest of the church is kind of his father. Okay. And soon, uh, everything just flies off the handle, and he gets mistaken to be this big, great hero of the universe that I guess he looks exactly like. He gets taken onto a ship of space pirates. Okay. And it's actually, uh, there's a lot of like comedy in the game, too, which is why I like it. Who puts this out again? Um, I think it's by Square Enix. I could be wrong there. Oh, okay. And it's it's just such an entertaining game. Uh, you you're mis- like I said, you're mistaken for this big hero, so everybody thinks you're some giant badass that can kill everybody when you're just you know a little dude with a sword who doesn't really know how to use it. Hey, the reluctant hero story is one of the best hero stories of all time. Exactly. Yeah. And you go through on the pirate ship, and you go through all these different adventures and things, and it eventually ends up with the classic, you know, you got to save the world and everything. I won't spoil too much of the plot for it. Okay. I just want to say, it's if you have a PS2, if you're still playing it, and you like RPGs, definitely check this out. Sci-fi Very, Space Pirates. Pretty much, yeah. And it is by level 5, actually. Level 5, okay. Yeah, there you go. I just said Square Enix because they make just about every RPG on the planet nowadays. So. Hey, it might, you know, who knows whose hands this touch, no doubt about it. And it's also got a lot of, like, extra content, too. Not not quite as much as Star Ocean does, but there are some endgame dungeons after you beat it. It's an extremely fun game. Highly recommend it. You can probably get it for probably around $20 now. It's a few years old. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of these PS2 games you get on the cheap, and uh, and uh, this looks like a, a fun title. Hey, who doesn't like Space Pirates? That's what I need to know. Exactly. Right. Especially Space Pirates, where the second-in-command is a talking cat. Ah! And he's a smartass, and he's really funny. You so. could dress up like a furry in Platus. And actually, another one of the main characters is dressed up like a giant space rat, too, through most of the game. So, <laughs> Okay, it sounds good. Sounds really good. What else we got? The uh, second game I want to talk about is a PC game. It's a massively multiplayer RPG called Guild Wars. Oh, yeah! I heard of this, I think. And it's... The reason that I like it, I've been playing it since the day it came out, or the week it came out or so, back in 2004. So it's been around for a while, about the same uh, time period as World of Warcraft. And it differs from World of Warcraft in that there is no subscription fees. Ah. Once you buy the game, 
that's it. You don't have to pay to continue to play a game you already own. Gotcha. That's good. That's a plus. Part of the reason I don't like World of Warcraft is because of that. Yeah, yeah. Now, do people sell gold when they're not supposed to on this game as well and get in trouble? or Just about like on every online RPG, there's things like that, but yeah. the company that produces this game called ArenaNet, uh-huh. they're really, really, you know, they really get on that pretty hard. So. Crack down. If they catch you doing that, your account's gone just forever. I Gotta see. buy one. Wow. You do have people trying to be, hey, I'll buying separate accounts and whatnot, but mm-hmm. that's really risky, too, because they'll like, ask you for your login and everything, and then they'll steal your account from you. So, so it's better than, than Warcraft because it's, it's cheap, it's free, except for buying the game initially. And what else happens here? Um, well, unlike Warcraft, it's pretty team-based. Oh, okay. Like, mostly in World of Warcraft, you go around on your own doing things. This, you can either party up with a team of other people or party up with a team of henchmen. They're not quite as good, but sometimes they're all you got because a lot of people are really dumb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, okay. not like unlike World of Warcraft where you're able to take on you know five things at once by yourself, mm-hmm. the monsters or the enemies in this game are all just as strong or stronger than you. Okay. So, so it requires a lot of teamwork them. and specific you know skills and... People will be like, hey, you need to switch up for your skills for this because this is what we're going to be doing and whatnot. Gotcha, gotcha. And it's, it's got your basic classes like warrior, monk, which is the healer, the mage and everything. It's also got a necromancer, which they're pretty cool. I have one of those. Yeah. They can raise, you know, armies of undead minions and uh-huh. whatnot. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And now are they female or are they male? You could be anything. You can be either one you want. Okay. There's, it's actually pretty cool. A uh, bit more customization than you get in World of Warcraft 2. And also, if you, like, say you had the same character for a while, you want to change him up. It's kind of exp- it's kind of pricey, but you go on the site, on the game site, mm-hmm. and you can change, pay like $10 or something, you can change completely how your character looks. So. Oh, okay. Can you make it look like you? Not really. It's not okay. quite that advanced. It doesn't have a photo capture thing. Right, right. Most of the times when I've experienced those, they don't quite work out. Yeah, you look like Frankenstein, like Chiz did when we tried to do her in the in the in the Konomi. Uh, she looked like Frankenstein's monster when I mapped that face on there. <laughs> oh, actually, side note about that: um, I was playing Fight Night Round Four recently, and they have a picture recognition thing, kind of like that. Oh, okay. I uploaded my picture. I came out looking like Frank West from Dead Rising. Wow. Didn't really look like me at all. I looked like a giant caveman. Should have had the hat on. <laughs> that would have probably screwed it up. So, all right, pal. Well, that sounds fantastic. I mean, you got uh, two two great uh, little role playing games to stink your teeth into, and you either you have a PS2 or a, or a PC. You could now. How powerful does your PC have to be for this, or can it be any old clunker? I wouldn't say a clunker would work. It would probably work, but it wouldn't look very good. I have my PC. It's a Dell from about 2004, so okay, and it runs pretty good on that, despite your you know average lag that happens in all RPG games, and sure. it looks really really nice too. Good, good, great. All right, man. Well, hey, keep us abreast on any type of uh, new RPGs or old ones we should stick in our systems. All right, I'll try to keep. Thanks, my man. For that, right on. All right, adios. Talk to you later. Bye. Keith, you get them all on. All right, Jesus, show us that. I love it. I I love games. I love to talk about games. Welcome A to lot. The We Talk Games Council of Video Game Millionaires. Here we are 
gathered together again the dynamic trio of Wiggly, Kyle Von Kubik, and, of course, John E. Capcom. That's true. Indeed. Right on. I think we need to enter King of Trios next year. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. That will never happen, by the way. And, oh, I figured as much. And number three, Keith, what is John, wrong with start this? swimming. What is wrong with <laughs> What is it? I told John to start swimming. He'll oh, make yeah. it here in time. Right. Here we go. This month's episode, though, we will be answering a question. How did Dave Mira and Tony Hawk not cause the third video game crash? Go. <laughs> no, actually, today's question is, name the worst video game names of all time that you can recall. Games that had the worst names ever. And then the follow-up to that, the Luigi 2 It's Mario. Name games that had awesome names. And then you played it and you said, I am playing a turd. <laughs> why, why don't you go first, Johnny Cat? It's only polite. Because this is a full East Coast show. Everyone on today's show, only East Coast. We have New York. Of course, me in Samiesville, Pennsylvania here. John, you're on the East Coast, I guess, of Ireland. Yeah, I'm on the East Coast of Ireland, Southeast, yeah. And we have Milwaukee and Wisconsin, all East Coast. And then, of course, our two special guests from, of course, L.A., the East Coast yeah. of L.A. All East Side. So East so Coast east rules. some direction, I'm sure. So let's go with John since he's the most East. Uh, okay. Um, well, the first uh, game I thought I'd bring up, just because it's kind of, I, I think, kind of PlayStation 1 era, Saturn and 64 is probably kind of the worst era for names mm -hmm. because that was when they tried to uh, market them to everybody for the first time I feel and uh, the, I think the game most guilty of just being like some game board executive just coming in and going listen we're making a game about this and I just make it sound hip and like shoes or something to children mm -hmm. and uh, that was cool borders if you remember <laughs> that sure it was it's cool. like some guy came in and went, listen, we're going to make a game. It's going to be about cool snowboarders. Call it cool borders or something like that, okay? Just come up with something different. And then, uh, you know, they just couldn't manage it. It's just, it just such – it's almost like a freaking market employee, you know? Hey, but, you know, cool works on two levels. That's why this is relevant. Call it cool because you're in snow, snowboarding. And cool because it's hip with the kids, like the Fonz. The Fonz is cool. <laughs> hey! Hey, this game stinks. All right. I would buy a game called Fonz Borders. No doubt about that. Now, see, that's what they should have went with because then that works on three levels. A cerebral level, you have the pinky thing going on. You have when he jumped the shark on the, the water skis. That's almost like skis that you're using snow, which is cool, like Fonz and A. And Arnold, and then he jumps the trash cans first, and then Pat Morita. He's Arnold. I'm sorry. Go. What else we got at Stink Names? That stunk. Resident Evil. I mean, that's a terrible name. Resident Evil? What yeah, it doesn't think? work. What? Like, it works for the first one. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Because it's a house where evil <laughs> is a residence. Yeah, it's in residency at that house. <laughs> yeah. Then the next but, I mean, one's think in a whole it. town. It hasn't really got anything to do with the city or anything, you no. know. Which, I mean, it just stuck, I guess, and it, it worked in one way. But, I mean, I think it was because, like, when I was a kid, I didn't even really understand what Resident Evil meant. I just knew it was evil. Sure. The, the second one should be called Promenade Shop Evil. 
Yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> like an outdoor gazebo evil. I think Biohazard is a far better name. That but... is a great name, and it makes sense because they're mutants. They're not zombies. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, they just again, it was the board meeting where I guess someone went, "Listen, it's in a house. It's evil." Right on. Rather than the evil. Yeah. Uh, Let's turn it over to the Kung Fu Kid. What do you got there, Kyle? The first game I thought of was Star Wars Masters of Terracotta Sadi. Terracotta Yeah, look, you can't even pronounce the name, and therefore it sucks. Right. Now now you're talking. Now you're talking. Now we're getting into the NES. I remember a game. All I knew about it when I worked in I worked in games and toys for more years than most people were alive. And I can the only thing I know about this game was it was $15 in my toy store. No Babungananga's ambition. The 1989 Kobe. Oh, yeah. No Babungananga's ambition. Of course, if it was 1582, maybe no Benungenungs would be relevant to the youth of eighteenth of the fifteen hundreds, but in the eighties and nineties, <laughs> yeah, and, and and along those lines, of course, you also had for the Jaguar Val Desires skiing and snowboarding. Talking about cool boarders, they should have called it Val Desires Desires Sayers Sires. Uh, yes, Val Desire, I think. Well, there you go. Well, who knows? No one. Knows. What is a kid? Hey, Mom, I really want Val Desires snowboarding and skiing. <laughs> I remember uh, almost getting into fistfights over the correct pronunciation of Xenogears. Oh, Xenogears, okay. Uh, yeah, there you go. We had Xenogears, Xenogears, and then we had Xenogears. <laughs> and so it was a heated debate between me and three of my friends. Yeah. I was on the Xenogears uh, side, then there was the Xenogears side, and then one of our friends that... We agreed was completely wrong. Was on the Exnos Gears side, and then we also had a similar debate about Chocobo, and if it was Chickaboo, there's not even an I in there. But that's that's a totally different thing. That's a right. game character. It is, not, it is different. Uh, Stay on target but there was here. The Chocobo Dungeon game. Okay, very good. Well, now I think that we started off with names that were kind of weird marketing goofy things and bad translations along with that i mean there were tons of turbo graphic games like that like a drop off oh boy i really want to play called, a game called drop off but you know what they they sort of tried to make up for it they put a skull on the cover it's just like a breakout but your ball could like open up like a pac-man face so that you could angle the ball off of it and you were shooting at things that dropped down like bust a move so it was like all these diamonds that would drop down, but so they they tried to make up for this this breakout style game by putting a skull on the cover, but then they ruined it by calling it drop off. We also had, of course, in line with your cool borders, yo exclamation point bro. For years they promised Camp California, Camp California, and as because Camp California was such a great game, they made a whole offshoot of the this bear. And believe me, it was horrible when it finally came out. But they made an offshoot of this bear on a skateboard called Yo Bro that had a slingshot. Okay. But that's just horrible names. What about Power Music Factory featuring CNC Music Factory? <laughs> that was a great name. That yeah. was a great name. And I, and you know, we, I brought that up, of course, last episode. And I also brought up all those great names, those so relevant names that came out for with the Wataro supervision. But let's talk about long names. I don't know if it still holds the record, but I own for the 3DO 
Golf Magazine presents 36 Great Holes starring Fred Couples. That's pretty long. <sighs> and horrible. Hey, Mom, yes. I guess you know what you could get me for Christmas? Golf Magazine presents 36 Great Holes starring Fred Couples. How about Lord of the Rings, Battle for Middle-Earth 2, Rise of the Lich King? That's pretty long. Yeah, it's pretty long. We're going to do, we're gonna have to do uh, letter counts. And then there's also the uh, the strong, bad, cool game for attractive people. Episode five, eight bit is enough. <laughs> well, you've also got the uh, was it Super Puzzle Fighter HD Turbo uh, Remix Ultra Edition, whatever they do. I can't even remember the whole. Sure. Well, what was it? Uh, Super Street Fighter Two HD Remix Turbo Edition something something something. Right, right, right. EX Plus Alpha Chocolate Bar Edition. Right on. Fun size. And let us not forget the, the phallic names that also occurred, of course, the one of my favorite action platform pencil game where you're a pencil. Wild uh, Woody! Wild Woody for the Sega CD. Yeah! That's a great game because, you know, who didn't want to do things like Bugs Bunny used to do in a cartoon? The, but then you name the it opening Wild sequence Woody. to that game makes it all worth it. Oh, yeah. It's a great game. No <laughs> doubt about it. Wild Woody. And, Unplayable. And one game that probably none of us ever played or heard of or anything else but we did play the sequel that was on the master system but its prequel had an unusual name because as i mentioned kung fu kid before for the sega uh, master system kung fu kid was a a popular title the prequel to this was on one of those sega my cards but only for the sg 1000 and then the s a G3000, SC3000. And it featured the main character of Kung Fu Kid, who is, of course, Wang. And this was, of course, of course, of course called Dragon Wang. <laughs> who wouldn't want to get their hands on Dragon Wang? You can hey, hardly resist it. Ma, hey, Ma, you know what I want for Christmas? Dragon, Dragon Wang. Wang. Yeah. Anything else? We got any more? Before yeah, we go into the, the cool Nintendo? names? The Nintendo has a couple. I'm sure it does. Like uh, Princess Tomato and the Salad Kingdom. <laughs> I don't even know that one. Oh, you know wow. what? It's a really stupid name, but I enjoyed the game, actually. I did. And then, of course, that. you know this one. How yeah. about Jumpman? Jumpman and Jumpman Jr., sure. I don't think that's Straight silly. to the point. Jumpman. I don't no, think it's a bad name. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No. But right. you, you were talking about the salad business, and that reminded me of uh, Restaurant Panic, I think it was called. Which I sold okay. for a hefty sum for my NES. But when you think about it, what sense does uh, Metal Gear Solid make? You know, if you're just walking along, you go, "Oh, look, there's like Street Fighter." I know what that means. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like Metal, Metal Gear Solid. Is it a driving game? Solid. Is what, solid is what throws you off because Metal Gear. You know, we we when when you first hear Metal Gear, that was kind of odd as well. But then. As soon as you start playing a game, they explain what Metal Gear is. You know, it's a giant robot type thing. But yeah, when they brought out Solid, I I think that was some Japanese translation problems there, definitely. No doubt about it. And Liquid. There's a lot of weird names going on in there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A lot of weirdness. How about uh, Metal Slug? There you go. That's a strange name as well, but when you play, you kind of get it. Yeah, Metal Slug doesn't make any sense. And uh, I forgot another phallic one, Chubby Cherub. Metal Salt. (laughs) Chubby Cherub. We don't want to forget about that one. That was, How could you? that was a good one for the NES. I like that game. Like Mario with wings that eats uh, rice patties. It's good. What about the new one, Wet? 
Wet. <laughs> That's good. That's a good name. Wet. Yeah. yeah. That is a good name. <laughs> Wet. You should have called it moist. <laughs> Even better. Well, I'll be damned. <laughs> I'll be damned. The game. Yeah. Very good. But Rose. I think we will all agree what takes a cake is one of my favorites. And that is, of course, another one for the Turbo Graphics. That should have just been called VTG. VTG, I would have said, okay. Or, you know, some type of giant robot, awesome, cool name, giant robot. No. Let's call it Vagoigas Tactical Gladiator. Vigigis. Here's the, here's our kid again. Hey, mister, I would, I really like to play video games. May I please? Ha- I would like to play. Just spit it out, son. I'll help you. Hey, mister. Hey, mister. Hey, mister. May I please have a copy of the Geigies, Vigigus, VGs, Tactical Gladiator, and sure. I, and my mom would like the Bungun Doings, the Bungus, Numbungus, the Bungus Ambition, and I, I also would like an order of General Toys, General So Toes, General Tosos. Chicken, and I would also like to have one of those Haigos, Gairis, Jaigos, Haigoros, Jairos, Giros. Do you want Herzog's Y as well? Herzog's Wee's Y! Yes, and you know what? My favorite. Ganoshi. My favorite. My And I would also like that comic, The Submariners, Submariners, Submariners. Submarine. Oh, God. It's all good. The TurboGrafx <laughs> fails. How, how do you expect it to not fail when people can't pronounce your games? Vajigis! <laughs> all right. So what were some cool name games that you got and you're like, this stinks on ice. I'll start. Judge Dread. <laughs> okay, and not, not the one after the Stallone movie. This is really based on the Eagle comic. How can you go wrong and make a horrible game? Judge Dread versus Judge Death. This is going to be epic. Instead, it's horrible. And talk, speaking about games that you could play backwards or forwardsly compatible that you can play under emulation on your Xbox 360, you can do this with Judge Dread almost. And why would you want to do it though? It's terrible. Don't do it. How can you make Judge Dread uninteresting? They did it. And of course. One of the most awesome names of any game of all time. Now, it didn't come out in the States, but you must get this as soon as you find out about it, of course, is for the for the Famicom. Booby Kids. Booby oh, Kids. Course. It's like Crater Maze without the maze, and you bury your enemies and things like this, and you have a, you know, a shovel, and you bury them up, and then you collect coconuts. But Booby Kids, probably the best best name ever, and, you know, Crater Maze. Uh, I remember when um, ECW Hardcore Revolution came out, I thought, this is going to be crazy. It's going to be just the most gory wrestling game ever, and then it wasn't. And what did you get instead? (laughs) Warzone. (laughs) And I think the same could be said for any acclaimed wrestling title. Yeah. Because they all have awesome names, especially for the Sega CD. Rage in the Cage. Rage in the Cage. What am I raging about? That I have no control and every character does the same punch and kick moves? And run? (laughs) All right, anything else? Nothing. 
I'm sorry, fans. You stumped the panel. I'm actually a flutist in an air band. Special thanks to Arlene Francis, Soupy Sales. Remember to buy Geritol. Good night, everyone. What? Bye. Oh, see you later. Bye hey, now. take it easy. Hey, take care. Hey, we try. We try. Thank you for your donations, but it wasn't enough. Speaking of smelling like roses, let's open the line for Dave Grossman. San Rafael, go! Dave Grossman, welcome to We Talk Games. Hey, thanks. Nice to be here. Right on, man. Now, uh, earlier in the show, we had Noah on. I know that you worked with Noah in the past. Oh, yes. Quite a few times, yes. Right on, right on. Hi, gentlemen. He is. It was my favorite interview so far, I think. Uh, I I have no idea why, but for some reason, that's how it rang through to me. I, I believe, actually, that Noah was the first person to look over my shoulder while I was working and laugh at what I was doing. Well, that's a good thing, I guess, considering what your product is. <laughs> Unless you were working on something serious, then that would be kind of, I guess, not I as was, good. but I switched to comedy immediately because of that. <laughs> I see. No, I was actually, uh, I was writing some dialogue for some guys in a circus tent on The Secret of, uh, Secret of Monkey Island back about 20 years ago. Speaking of that, and how did you get your start? More or less completely by accident. I was a... Um, Computer science uh, geek type kid. Okay. And I had I had been to uh, college and I had even been to graduate school for a little while studying artificial intelligence and decided that I didn't actually want to stay in academia forever. So I was just kind of looking for work, uh, doing something that, that wasn't going to be uh, sort of designing missile guidance systems or anything reprehensible like that. Mm. And I answered an ad at, uh, at Lucasfilm. They were looking for uh, people to help them design and, and implement their game. And I thought, oh, that sounds harmless enough. Wow, wow. So you started right off right there. I did start right off right there, yeah. I, um, I gathered that what drew the attention to my resume was the fact that I had listed apple juice as an interest, and somebody thought that that was funny. So that got me the interview, and I'm still not sure why they hired me, but they did. That uh, reminds me of some of the jobs I got in IT, where most companies, when they try to hire someone for IT, especially be like an administrator, they look for things such unneeded requirements, such as computer sciences, or things that you went to school for. But they would ask this of, of people that just needed to, you know, Nortel and things that aren't really computer science related. But the most impressive thing to them on my resume was that I had a website early 90s. And that has nothing to do with administrating uh, infrastructure of some big corporation. But yet, that was impressive to them. So, who knows in, in what In the early 90s, I suppose it did actually require a little bit of technical know-how. It doesn't really now, but at the time. Yeah, it still was just a markup language. Nothing nothing deeper than that. But I was, I was amazed at the time, uh, though, people were offering me money, to, large sums of money, actually, to come and build websites for them, which didn't seem very uh, very interesting to me. This was during the freelance part of my career. I see. And uh, there just was a, a, a sort of a general lack of knowledge about exactly how easy it all was. That I guess that's why it was impressive to some people. But Apple Juice... That is in a whole class by itself, and I don't know why I soiled that wonderful, delightful story with my mundane uh, bit of interjection there. (laughs) Now, you started right out in Lucasfilm, and you started right out with graphic-based adventures or text-based adventures or that type of genre? Yeah, yeah. Graphic Adventures was what they had specifically hired us to do. Um, they were going to kind of up the ante a little bit there and, and try and uh, try and make more of those. And they basically decided that they were going to need people to implement them and, and kind of grow into lead designers. And they were building their stable, I guess. I see, I see. And as far as 
the programmers that we've had on the show, I think you're fairly unique in that you've really stuck to your genre. Pretty much, yeah. I've I've strayed a little bit. I I, um, I did a little uh, writing for things like Total Annihilation for uh, Cave Dog. Okay, uh, that was just kind of the Ron Gilbert connection there. Uh, but by and large, yeah, I have stuck pretty closely to adventure games, story games, things of that nature, interactive story books, even. And what I like you- them. I, I, I think they're interesting. There's a whole uh, sort of um, unique narrative form going on there that uh, is still uh, kind of in its infancy in terms of what people have explored about it. True, and I am a big fan of Japanese gaming, and of course anything that comes out of studios in Japan is seriously lacking in that story element, especially after it gets uh, translated. Um, but even before that translation... That can always be a problem, yeah. yeah. But even before translation, it can be... Low. Now, if they just made all the translations like early Speed Racer, those Translux gimmicks, that would be fantastic. Then it would be a whole different story. Who cares if the story's bad if everyone talks in a real weird canter? I gather sometimes they'll do the translations twice and it works out better. They'll they'll do one translation for language and then they'll translate the the English language story into English again and make it good. I see, I see. Speaking of making things good, what was the best thing that you can remember about working at the Skywalker Ranch and and also the worst thing? The best thing was probably lunch actually. Um they had a like a four-star restaurant chef Oh, therefore, it's uh, extremely subsidized so that, uh, you know, I could go into this uh, swanky room that was basically like, a, you know, kind of a nice restaurant, get some really great food, take half of it uh, back to my office and save it for dinner. I think they were kind of trying to set up uh, an environment that would encourage us never to actually leave the the, uh, the ranch. <laughs> gotcha. Which is sort of a, it's, it's a half hour from anywhere, so uh, that was actually a good thing that uh, we didn't have to like go out to get lunch or anything. I know that you enjoy a little poetry. Here's, here's one uh, right off the cuff, which I stole from my youth. Lunch. It's actually pretty good. Awesome poem. Thank you. Now, uh, I did steal that from my lead guitar, so... Uh, What... uh, But, you know, he doesn't listen to his show, so it's mine for all intents and purposes. What do you think was the worst thing about working at the Skywalker Ranch? Or was there any downside? Not about the ranch itself. Well, the commute was actually a little bit ugly. Mm. It took an hour from my house and an hour back, uh, and and there was a little bit of a kind of a reality disconnect because the place was so nice to be at then when i got home at night it was kind of like oh gee this is this is what real life is like you know sort of paint peeling off the walls and people yelling outside and 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 sort of ugliness i suppose it's true that the uh you know the hours were were kind of long and and the pay wasn't very good but the hours were long because i was really excited about what i was doing and didn't really want to go home i kind of wanted to stick around and play with the game some more and write some more stuff and, you know, the pay was bad because I was just starting out. So. I see, I see. And really argue with that. What, what type of equipment were you programming on back then? Wow, we were using PCs. They were like, uh, I probably had like a 486 on my on my desk. The target machines for the games were 286s because that was what most people had at the time, which is why all those games are, you know, 320 by 200, run real slow. The animations are all real tiny. Mm. Uh but that was kind of you know it was an interesting box to be to be playing around in because it made the it made the games be kind of like little uh, little puppet theater things. Sure. And because you sort of had to accomplish everything with just a few little gestures with the character, you could sort of reach up high in the air or reach out 
straight, then you had to use that for everything. They're going to shake hands. It was the same as picking up something from the table. So because you didn't have to sort of animate everything specially and you didn't have to lip sync anything, you didn't have to record any dialogue, you could just keep putting content into the game like right up until the last second. And that was really a, a pretty cool thing to be able to do. Right. Now, Full Throttle, that, that was at a later time. That was, that was a big jump in production value. You had Silicon Graphic workstations, I'm sure, doing some of the, um, I don't know if uh, the art got rotoscoped on top of that or, or how that all worked. I know Peter Chan was a, a fen- phenomenal artist of that. That uh, that was one of my favorite series, especially for the Mac. Pete Chan was uh, actually yeah, a tremendous artist and, and really, really fast. Um, I worked with him on, uh, on Day of the Tentacle, and, and um, he did all the backgrounds to the entire game himself, and he would paint them. Uh, first on paper and then scan them and, and kind of clean them up. And they would take him about two days apiece. And wow. So he would you know come in early every day and he would leave at 4.30 and go home to his family. And the rest <laughs> of us who were sort of staying till 2 in the morning were like, Arr. but, you know, what can we, what can we do? He, he got his work done. He's responsible for that soda machine and the clock. Yeah. Trying to think of all the other neat uh, backgrounds from that, that series. Speaking of that series... The game mechanics were similar to Clock Tower uh, on the original Maniac Mansion, but then uh, Day of the Tentacle, you abandoned the cat and mouse element. Why the change between the original Maniac Mansion and Day of the Tentacle? Well, that was mostly about time. Five years had gone by since the original Maniac had been released, and we all kind of felt like, okay, well, if we tried to sort of make a, a direct sequel to this, something that felt the same, then it would just automatically feel dated. So... That was kind of a kind of a unique opportunity to do a sequel without really doing a sequel. So we got all the benefits of having some characters that were designed and funny already, uh, but we didn't have to worry about kind of uh, slavishly aping a style or anything. And we could we could just sort of go on and, and do our own thing and make it make it the best and coolest thing we could think of. Now you're at Telltale Games. I am, and right as we speak. And that was started by a lot of the people that used to work in Lucas Films as well. Yeah, quite a few of the um, the, the members of the uh, last and greatest Sam and Max team at uh, at LucasArts uh, sort of cut and ran and, and started this company uh, in 2004. When you worked at LucasArts, did George ever share with you his master plan to destroy pinball? <laughs> Uh, I do remember going actually up to the up to the main house and checking out a pinball game. I think it was an Indiana Jones one, and they had like a prototype model, and they just wanted to have people who actually enjoyed pinball play it and tell them whether there was, whether it was any good. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. I think there was actually some support of pinball going on. But there, it sounds like a bit of animosity. Perhaps like- I just didn't realize that, uh, that that there was a secret underlying plan going on at the time. I was duped. It's not my fault. I swear. No, I'll get to the bottom of this one day, believe me. Telltale Games, did they start their console comeback on the Wii, the WiiWare, with the uh, Strong Bad episodic? Yeah, that was our, our first console title, actually, was, was uh, Strong Bad's Cool Game for Attractive People on WiiWare. Got my money. And we're, um, we're gradually trying to uh, kind of get ourselves onto every downloadable channel possible. Oh, very but, good. Um, we we seemed like uh, like kind of a good entry point for us because we we, we sort of feel like the um, just the Nintendo audience in general is probably in tune to the kind of 
semi-casual, semi-mainstream experience that our, our games are meant to provide. They're, they're kind of, they exist kind of somewhere between hardcore and casual space. Right, right. And now I know Sam and Max is available at the Xbox Live Arcade as well. And PS3. Wallace and Gromit, too. Oh, oh, right, right, Wallace and Gromit. Very good. Uh, but no love for the PS3 yet. Is that in the works? or What, what stopped that from happening? That's all. Business deals and, and what opportunities present themselves first. I see. So we, I see. we had some good opportunities to get onto the Wii and the, uh, and the Xbox that, that came partly out of actually our, our CSI series, allowed us to, uh, to kind of um, get pieces of the engine working on those platforms. Oh, gotcha. Uh, so that was just, just opportunity, really. Oh, look who came. They're back. Uh, stinky. Sorry. Other things going on around here in the background. What systems do you currently own? Me, currently. I've got a Wii in my living room. Uh, I still have a PlayStation 2. I was probably the last guy in the world to get one of those. Uh, I've got a DS, and I've got a PC. I've still got my Super Nintendo you know, working in there, and my uh, my Sega Genesis. Very good. Hey, Dave! Hey, how's it going? Hey! Hey, do you, like, do you like those things? Which things? You know, those computers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! I like those. They're uh, they do what you tell them. Right? That's yeah. I like them. Yeah, I I used to own an ENIAC. An ENIAC? Oh, that's that's old school. Uh, stinky! I bet that you you probably owned a difference engine. Get out of here! All right, all right, all right. That jerk. How long have you been at Telltale Games? Oh, I signed up in the middle of uh, 2005, so I guess that's been around four and a half years going on. That's a long time. It was right at the end of uh, the first Bone game was kind of getting ready to come out the door. And then the next thing we did was uh, The Great Cow Race. I was the, uh, the the lead on that. And then we sort of launched into Sam and Max afterwards. Any plans on Full Throttle? I have a great name for it if you do a follow-up. Fuller Throttle. That's my... Fuller Throttle? Okay, yeah. I'm writing that down. <laughs> that Just will never case. happen. <laughs> never happen. Fuller Throttle... How many T's in throttle? Uh, I use three. Four. Yeah, I, I think we'll give this one four, though, just for extra oomph. I think that would be over with the kids. Throttle. <laughs> I think we just put the extra one at the beginning. I like Maybe it. we'll go with five T's. You know what? You just can't have too many T's. Five T's with full of throttle. Why not? Tim will be proud. One of the T's will be for him. <laughs> ah, hey, that's an Easter egg. Built-in Easter egg. Now, I noticed that you have something I'm also very, very interested in. You, you've you taken your ideas, your concept, your persona, and you've put it online, I guess, I think, I'm assuming, in Phrenopolis. Yeah, Phrenopolis is kind of um, meant to be an imagine, you know, kind of a kind of a semi-imaginary, semi-real thing that's the, kind of the space between my brain and the internet and the garage of my house, which is where I keep the books that I sell through that website. Uh, but it's also got, uh, you know, pictures of my tiki collection and my uh, my uh, annual uh, jack-o'-lantern carving, the, the pumpkin house of horrors. That's pretty fun, actually. That gets more hits than anything else on the site. A girlfriend of mine, she's a very good I, I, I don't know. Unfortunately, she would be labeled as like a gothic type of artist, although that has nothing to do with it. But it's very Edgar Allan Poe-ish in painting form. And every year she has a porch full of vomiting pumpkins. Awesome. Yeah, that, that sounds awesome. That sounds like my house. And it, it fit right in. I, I was enjoying the pumpkins. I was enjoying the hilarious poems. It, I could almost hear Vincent Price reading it on uh, the hilarious House of Frankenstein. It's a type of... 
mm-hmm. of tempo it, it, uh, it uh, instilled into me. That didn't make sense. I like the ode to the stuff in a sink. Uh, that's your book, I guess. That Yeah, that is my book. It came out of my, um, my Poem of the Week project, which started actually in 1994 and is still going, surprisingly enough. And I, I just started doing that because, you know, I thought making funny poems was kind of fun. And I gave it to myself as kind of a, just a writing project because they say if you're going to write, you should just write all the time. And sure. if, you, uh, if you have a weekly deadline, then you'll keep writing all the time. You're kind of forced to. And, and, uh, and I started sending them to people online to keep myself honest so that there would be somebody out there who was, like, actually expecting to have a new poem. And so far, that's worked, actually. I'm almost up to 700 of them in 14 years. Wow. Well, and uh, it, was, it provided a good, uh, a good groundwork, actually, of experience for, for doing games episodically. It's kind of the same thing. You have to sort of focus in on what's important and make the game and sort of move on to the, to the next one uh, as fast as you can. Sure, sure. And then I, you know, eventually uh, I had a, enough of them that, uh, that, that, that a theme started to suggest itself for a book, which was... Um, uh, sort of poems about being a being a single guy, you know, kind of kind of bachelorhood and putting your feet on the table and uh, and uh, the the existential existential angst of, of shaving, you know, that that kind of thing. And I I was uh, involved at that point and and thinking about getting married, so I knew that I had to get the book done before I did that, <laughs> or, or I wasn't going to have any uh, you know any more juice for that. May I may I suggest a hilarious limerick section for maybe a, an offshoot at some point in the future and after you just just do limericks i would love it the weekly limerick the weekly limerick you should listen to uh wait wait don't tell me on the radio they do uh they do limericks ah. and of course you have a great political section there as well your your hate on the daylight saving time which i love you love daylight savings time or you love my hate of daylight savings time i love your your opposition to it Yes, I've always thought it was just silly and caused a lot of problems, you know. They started and everybody's late for work and my great aunt missed her own sister's funeral because it was right after uh, daylight savings time. So, no lie. Wow. Well, then I then I understand and and you'd like to punch Ben Franklin right in his face. Ben Franklin, the uh, the inventor of daylight savings. Wow. I I respect the guy for a lot of things, but not that. Especially for his fashion. His fashion. Well, yes, his fashion. He was always quite popular with the ladies, I gather. Mm-hmm. Well, that's enough material for your next uh, gimmick, I'm sure. Now, uh, would you, speaking of which, you have anything in the works that you could let us in on, or it's all hush-hush and you don't can't break the... Well, not entirely hush-hush. I mean, uh, I've been I've been spending a lot of time with the Sam Max team lately because we're, we're designing a new season there. Uh, the illustrious Chuck Jordan is uh, sort of taking the reins of that and doing some interesting things that I think people are going to like. Fantastic. Dave, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know that uh, you know it, it was it was an effort, so I, I truly, truly appreciate it. Thanks for letting us know that, uh, yes, indeed, there definitely was some type of plot there to destroy pinball in the Lucas camp. Fight the power. Right on, man. Hey, join us again in the future to help. We'll push at least five or six games, I promise. See you now. All right. All right. Thanks a lot. Wow. I feel like I just got off the line with Sam and or Max. I I felt like I was part of the game instead of doing an interview trying to find out about except for that one incredibly geeky question about games. I didn't really ask any questions about games. I'm much more 
interested in playing the game. I feel, I feel like Hank Rogers when he said, oh, I, I lived life like one of my adventure games, and I considered the goals as quests. So I felt like I was inside of one of the text-based adventure games. I'm talking to these people. I just love what he's involved with. He's also pushing for solar system size integrity. You know, show the planetoids and the stars and the planets in scale with one another. Don't show them, oh, here's the sun. It's only twice as big as the moon, you know. Uh, So it's amazing stuff. It's great stuff. I got caught up. Hey. Hey, Stinks, since you decided to interrupt the last segment there, uh, who won uh, last month's contest? Oh. Oh, yeah. Okay. Hey, this was our biggest contest ever. Most more people submitted to Stinky's contest in month last month, which gives you fifteen stinky bucks for the Pro Gear store. And the winner is Chuck Rolls. Chuck Rolls. If that's your real name, you win fifteen stinky bucks. Now. We're taking next month off because we have a big, 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 contest that will begin in the month of December if there is a show in December, which I think there is. So there, that's who won. Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations, pal. Congratulations. And oh, we know it. We just forgot about one part of the show. It's a very important part of the show for me. I hope it is for you. So we better do that now, and then we can go! Don't you think I sound like a robot? This must be the retro review part, because if it's from the 80s, you must sing like robot. Downloadable arcade at home for the past month. For the virtual console, let's start out with the Wii! Of course, uh, the aforementioned $10 Altered Beast. The Last Ninja 2 for the Commodore 64. Boy, I hope you like kicking in The Last Ninja 2. The 2 means that now we will change to a 3D isometric view. And you might get a kick out of this. Uh, for only $5, you can play a Commodore 64 game. We wear... That's where the action was at. Arkanoid Plus for 600 things. That's fairly reasonable, but Taito, who is designing your game remakes here? Number one, I think they might be colorblind. Number two, the mixed mediums just don't work together, in my opinion. But at least it's a two-player. And, you know, Arkanoid was such a great game. But once again, there's no spinner knob. I mean, that's Arkanoid needs a spinner, or at least a potentiometer, some type of pot that you spin around. And that's really how these paddle games work best. We also saw uh, Konami's Drift Mania. Excuse me, I meant Drift Mania. (laughs) This is like championship sprint, top-down, one-screen racing. However, it controls a little bit like Magnetic B. You're doing a lot of drifting. It's ice racing, except without the ice. Well, there are some tracks with ice. But, you know, uh, do a search on YouTube. Look at a video of this. I'm not sure. Not as reasonably priced at 800 points. But there's a lot of hidden bonuses in there. Championship Sprint and other games that came after that, like Super Off-Road, I always found them to be a lot of fun. But not 800 fun. Now we get into a game I was very excited to see on here. Mr. Driller W. W. Now, what does W stand for? Who knows? Uh, I guess we, but they didn't want to say we. I don't know why. We why? 
Uh, looks great, plays great, but why is it only 4x3, no two-player, and no online? Let's move on over to the PlayStation Store. We got Digger HD. Digger HD. It is an HD, no doubt about it, and it is 10 bucks. 10 bucks for Digger HD. Remember that classic 1980-something game, Digger? Well, now it's in HD. And it is true 16x9, although there is a little bit of a cheat going on on the sides. But it does extend over the regular 4x3 area. And it looks great. I don't mind the polygons on this one instead of the raster graphics. It all works. It looks good. And this is basically a dig dug with a tractor. And there's laser beams and bullets and bombs. And things blow up and people chase you. And you dig for gold and rubies. No demo yet. So you might have to search for a video on this one. Now, while the Xbox Live Arcade already has multiple iterations of the Uno, the PlayStation now offers the original Hoo-ha! Now, it's 10 bucks in the PlayStation Store, and obviously, you can't use your avatar in there from the Xbox, which was such a cool feature. And I seriously doubt that you'll ever be able to use your people from home in anything other than home, but who knows what could happen in the future. And also considering that you've probably been playing this on your Xbox for the past two years, if I think that's about how long it's been out, it's going to be kind of a hard sell. Although, although if you only have a PS3, then I think this is a definite must-have title. Because it's a lot of fun. It's a game that you can always go back to, and I frequently go back to it on my Xbox 360. Now, Zombie Apocalypse came out for 10 bucks. This came out both for the Xbox 360 and the PS3. And Konami has done it right. Now, this is gorgeous. And you can demo this on the PS3, which is always a plus. Now, it's 10 bucks in the PlayStation Store, but if you went on Xbox, it's going to cost you 800 whatevers. And that's not the same 800 that an 800 in the Wii Store would cost you either. But this is a really cool Smash TV-style game with zombies, gorgeous graphics, chainsaws, flamethrowers, interactive environments. It's fantastic. Demo it. I'm sure you're going to love it. PlayStation Store also got Switchball. This is your marble roller. I like to call it on-the-ball high-def edition. And boy, it is really gorgeous. And it also features some linear puzzle action going on there. So take a look at this. Once again, you can't demo these things, but try to find a video of it. See if it floats your boat. I'm not sure if it's going to be worth the price. And finally, there's a Punisher demo. They already milked out <laughs> everyone they could just off the Punisher name for their 10 bucks. Now they put the demo out there. Hey, download this by all means if you feel like getting disconnected from the server after waiting for a match to load. And also making sick in your sandals. Get ready for punishment. The Microsoft Arcade. And I spell Microsoft M dollar sign Live Arcade. For 800 South Park, let's go Tower Defense Play, exclamation point. This is a great Flash game. I don't know if it's Flash 6, Flash 7, Flash 8. Definitely Action Script 2 going on here. It's your basic castle defense game, much like the Final Fantasy one that I talked about last month. But it's done in a very humorous South Park presentation. And it's silly easy to get achievements with this. <laughs> I, I think you unlock an achievement if you like hit two people with a snowball. So for all you achievement freaks out there, you might want to just pay the money for this. It's sort of like doling out money for achievements. There's live play as well. And you know what? Everything in the Microsoft Live Arcade, you can demo. So demo this. We want, you might want to demo Lucidity. This is also 800. Everything this month 800. 
Lucidity is a new offering from LucasArts. Another game that feels special. They call it a surreal fantasy style game. That's what George says anyway. It gave me a feel of the first Odd World, but not in the play mechanics. Just, just that sensation, that feeling. You guide your character Sophie around the level by placing puzzle pieces in her path, and this allows her to hop over obstacles or walk over obstacles and things like this. There's also a game on there that had such a bad choice of fonts, I have no idea what it was called because I couldn't read it. And also, Bust a Move Live came out. Beautiful, looks great. It's Bust a Move. They changed some of the level designs so it's not always a rectangle that the pieces are in. And it's online. I did have trouble with my analog stick, though, and I had to use my shoulder buttons to aim. I'm not sure if that might just be my stick or what, but give that a demo as well. And the hands-down winner, the one I popped for the most, but I was also terrified about the most. I was biting my nails. Military Madness Nectaris came out, and I could not stop playing the demo. In fact, I have the demo paused because I needed to get going with the show today, and I don't want to lose my achievements because I know I need to unlock that. Military Madness is without a doubt my favorite hexagonal war game ever. And Neo Nectaris was the PC Engine CD follow-up to it. Now, this is a remake where they do use 3D, but i got to tell you, it works for me because when the little tanks and vehicles and men roll around or fly around or do whatever they do around the screen. It looks like little toys going around, like little HO scale toys. It looks great. And without a doubt, if you've never played a a hexagonal based war strategy game, if you're like afraid of it or whatever, have no fear. This is the perfect game for anyone to dive into this genre. The only thing that took me a little while was figuring out that uh, I have to use the the digital pad, the D-pad, instead of the analog sticks to make my troop selection. Once I figured that out, whammo, fun city. Give it a try and see if you agree with me. The winner of this month's We Talk Game Downloadable Console Content of the Month Award is... Xbox Live Arcade! Yes, you win. You throw in Zombie Apocalypse, and there's a lot of games this month competing for your 800s. But definitely, without a doubt, the title that put it over the edge was Military Madness Nectaris. Check it out. Demo these games. And that's it for today's show. Wow. Thank you so very much for being part of this show. Thank you, everyone, at the King Kong Corn Con. We couldn't have done it without Kyle, Johnny, Capcom, Stinky, TT, Trapdoor Charmed, Eric Alex, The Smoke, Kirby, AAA Auto Club. A special thanks to Noah Falstein and Dave Grossman. Please join us next month for another episode of We Talk Games. Bye, everybody. We talk.